Yo, yo, and welcome to the Professor Jones and the Digs podcast. My name is Dave Jones, and I am the Professor. My name is Danny Jones, and I am the Digs. Professor Jones is a podcast dedicated to the art of film and cinema. And this week, we are coming at you with some hot takes about the newest Steven Spielberg film, Ready Player One, which has been highly, highly anticipated. This week, we have a special guest, one of the Diggs' longtime friends, and also my friend, although we don't live in the same city, so we don't get to see each other as much, uh, but a longtime listener of the show, fan of the show. We know that you listen to it. This week, we have on the Jack-O-Lantern, Kangaroo Jack, Mr. Jack Skellington. You don't know Jack. Hey, Jack, climb up a beanstalk. Jack, starring Robin Williams. Hey, Jack Kennedy, you got a wife named Jackie. Number 42, Mr. Johnson slash Banana Pancakes. Uh, Crappy John Cage replacement Jacks, the Apple Jacks. I'll never let go, Jack. Watch out, this guy might give you a shiner. We have Mr. Jack Ebensteiner. Give him a hand. Wow. 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 What a welcome. I know. Wasn't it great? But Jack, we're happy fantastic. to have you on the show. I'm super excited to be here. That was incredible. I know, I, right? I've gotten a lot of nicknames over the years. Those, I've never heard most of those. It's, really? It's Were those like all pretty same... original? Oh, yeah. I spent at least like 45 seconds coming up with that this morning, so. Well, good work. You spent Time. 45 seconds coming up with a minute long. <laughs> 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 a minute long nickname section. Well, it was pretty good. So, that was amazing. Um, yes. Time well spent, yeah. Yes. Jack is, a, uh, Jack is a good friend of ours, and we're very excited to have him on the show to talk about Ready Player One, which is a book that I'm assuming all three of us have read multiple times, right? Just the once for me. Just uh, one time good. for you? Yeah, just okay. the once. Wow. Yep. Have you read it a couple times? Uh, I have uh, three times. Three yeah. times. And I, I was probably... reading it again this week. Didn't, didn't quite finish it in time for the movie, but... He was speed reading speed this reading. week. <laughs> I was actually slacking off at work. I did almost nothing yesterday. I was just reading the book. <laughs> I did almost nothing but listen to Will Wheaton. So, um, no, uh, yeah, I probably read it like three times. So, yes, I'm very, very excited to get into this and talk about this, sh- uh, this book and this film. So, Danny, why don't you start us off with the bro down and fill us in on what you have to talk about this week. Uh, okay, well, bro down, um, time to bro down. Um, there's been a lot of like great trailers and stuff like that, but since we have Jack here this week, uh, this is a friend that I hang out with weekly. We, um, we have a lot of conversations together. Uh, he's a a massive Star Wars fan, I know, and he loves, you know, the franchise. And so a lot of people have heard our opinions on the newest film, The Last Jedi, um, but I kind of just wanted to get into a little conversation and just hear somebody else besides a you know besides the Jones brothers' opinion, um, just because I know the Star Wars franchise means so much to all of us. So I uh, kind of just wanted to ask Jack what he thought and kind of get general thoughts from him on uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. I hated it. I think I hated it. And that's an all that's an all sincerity. You actually hated it. I there were a few things that I, I could get behind. Uh, I mean, I feel like it did kind of ruin my Christmas. But <laughs> but no, I, I, I think that there were uh, it had a couple redeeming qualities, but I think I think it sort of stands out among 
the rest of the films as the weakest of them. That's fair. Fair point. Um, I, I hey, I I'm sure because you listened to our last Jedi review, correct? I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I think that I've pretty much stated plenty of times that I I didn't think it was the best Star Wars ever, but I thought it was I thought it was a fine movie. Um, I'd say that when it came out on Blu-ray and all of that business, I was thinking that I would probably want to watch it, but I bought it and watched like. 45 minutes of it and just never return to it. And I have no inclination to sit down and watch it again. Um, so it's, it's becoming less and less interesting to me and that's probably not a good sign. Um, but that's surprising to me that, so you like, there's not much in it that you find of value. I think, I think it had, I'm kind of being unfair. Um, I think it had, uh, individual elements and scenes that I really liked. In fact, I think, the thing for me is that it had a lot of good ideas, and I think it was primarily the execution that just didn't jive with me. And maybe that's a, just an issue of sensibilities, because I know that, that the movie worked for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I don't know, it just didn't really, didn't really click with me. I feel like a lot of the, the uh, emotional nuances just didn't quite hit the mark for me, mm-hmm. and kind of like took me out of it as opposed to pulling me deeper into it. Right, right, right. Um, you know, I think that there's, I think that all of the Luke and Ray stuff, that, that worked for me. That was, that was really good to me. It was all of anything else besides that plot line. I'm not into. Um, so did you, did you at least think that that was good or were, or were there problems within that? I thought, I thought they started something good with that. And I feel like they didn't fully explore the potential of that relationship. Right. Um, like, totally. Like, honestly, I, I, think, I think the issue for me is that um, I think I really wanted the movie that they were advertising in the trailers because those are some of the best trailers I've ever seen, you know? For sure. The, the, the slow, I, I think it was like the second or the third trailer, you know, where it's just like, like epic and slow and you have Luke speaking softly. Um, like that, that, w- that was just, it resonated with me so well. And that's kind of the vibe that I was hoping for, for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I don't know if it was an editing thing or, or what, but they kind of went in a, a different direction with it. Um, that I just wasn't quite expecting. Um, Again, I think a lot of the ideas were good. Um, Would you say that there was a certain scene in particular that lost you and you couldn't come back after that point? You know, I don't think I can actually pick a single scene. Uh, Okay. Okay. I feel like I feel like I feel like it was sort of a death by a thousand cuts where it was like (laughs) as I was watching it, it was like, oh, that was weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, no. I, but I, I like Star Wars. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Our glances yeah, are like weird too. Our like smirky glances quickly turned to like such angry glances <laughs> <laughs> throughout it. At first, something weird had happened, and I'd look at Jack and be like, "Well, you know, we're only twenty minutes in." And then towards the end of the movie, we'd look at each other and just be like, "Oh gosh." <laughs> yeah. So if angry. I, 
I think that the Leia, the Leia floating through space thing, that was that was a point for me that it took me a while to get back on trap on track because I couldn't stop thinking about how stupid that was to me. And it just it it was like I was trying to convince myself the rest of the movie that I was enjoying it. And so if that scene didn't exist, I think that I might have walked away with a much more positive feeling about it. Um, but I mean, I agree, man. It was uh, Mark. Mark Hamill's going full ham, full cheese on it. And <laughs> it was it was. Yeah, it's a weird movie. That's for sure. It's um, just. Yeah. The thing is, it's just awful. <laughs> you know <laughs> i mean if you guys want to have a full-out debate about last jedi like i i'll i welcome it i bring it well, on why, why do you think it's good david why do you think it 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 holds up um are you excited for episode nine still because i feel like last jedi ruined it to the point to where i i can't understand how they can connect the dots i feel like they went so far overboard that um I mean, the the Force Awakens had such magic to it, and they went so far in the opposite direction as far as um, leaving things out that you were excited for. Uh, you know, examples being the Knights of Ren, Snoke's backstory, uh, and also just I don't know. They really hyped up having Kylo Ren be like a bigger bad guy in this one, and then he kind of ended up just being the little whiny kid at the end again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. But yeah, I feel like it's not really possible to redeem this trilogy for me now, no matter how good episode nine is. That's my personal feelings. What do you what do you think, Dave? I think that I think that they can make a very good movie after this one. And I think that a lot of the choices of uh, storylines that were put into this movie kind of ruined the overall storyline. But for me, the lay or excuse me, the Ray and the uh, Luke story, and then the connection between Kylo Ren and Kylo Renning, Kylo Ren killing Snoke, and all of that stuff that completely worked for me. And the ending, whereas it was a little cheesy, I will admit the dusting off the shoulder and stuff like that. I feel like those are small criticisms to the overall uh, reveal that he was a force. Um, what a what, force apparition or hologram, something, um, what, whatever it was. I think that that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a star Wars movie. And that's, and that's where it's pretty much just a subjective view, uh, as to whether you like the film or not, because I bought that. I completely bought into that idea that they came up with for the plot. And yeah, there's a ton of things that I didn't like about it, but the ending I think was awesome and very beautiful. Uh, there was some cheese along the way, but the main storyline I thought was great, and I am pretty excited to see what happens between Ray and uh, Kylo Ren in the next film. I think that it could have been way better, but um, it's the episode eight that we got, and I'm just going to choose to enjoy it and like it for what it is because can't do anything about it now. So, um, and yeah, it could have been a better movie, but there were lots of parts of it that I really did enjoy. And I think it's probably one of the most visually stunning Star Wars films that has existed so far. I mean, the cinematography and the way that Ryan Johnson works with a camera is absolutely beautiful. So, I mean, in that, in that, in that regard, that is, that is an amazing part of that film. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Any other points that you guys had about episode eight? I mean, I was going to say, I, I totally agree. I think it was an absolutely beautiful movie. Like, I, I didn't like the movie, but I will probably end up buying the art of book for it. 
Yeah, you know, totally. It's, it's well, a and gorgeous, the, gorgeous movie. Like the the um, Hoth 2.0 scene at the end. Uh, it's oh, it's salt, not snow. It's salt. Um, yeah. The it's uh, like, like, oh, was, thank you. I'm glad we got to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for pointing out that it was salt. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's salt! Wow. <laughs> um, that's it was amazing. Like the the just the the colors, the stark contrast of the white and the red. And the crystals and like all that stuff. It was just beautiful. Um, so I totally agree that it, it definitely had a few things going for it. Visually, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think my issues with it are kind of twofold. First being that um, the, it, it had problems in different categories. And I think if the movie only had issues in a single category or like two categories, like, like I, I didn't really believe that the villains were intimidating at all because they were kind of positioned as these kind of silly slapstick characters especially at the beginning um like if if the movie only had issues in a couple categories then i could look past it but it kind of felt like there was a little something wrong with kind of each section of the movie um except for the visuals again the visuals were were fantastic um and then the other thing was it kind of felt like the the movie treated the audience I don't know it didn't treat the audience with um respect in the sense that like it didn't trust people to get things like it kind of needed to over explain things um like uh Andrew Stanton is a director at Pixar and I, I love the way that he phrases this he says um never give the audience four give the audience two plus two let them get to four Right. I felt like a lot of what was happening in the movie um, was they were just giving you four. And uh, a good example of that, just off the top of my head here, is, is right at the end when you see the, the little kid, right? And I think, like, here's an example of how they had a good idea and didn't execute it well. If that little kid walked out and, like, force-pulled the, the broom and it was just this sly little touch that you might have missed if you weren't paying close attention and he kept sweeping and it ended right there Oof! like that would have like i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that but they had him force pull it and then he like reveals the cereal box dakota ring and then he holds it up like a lightsaber and we get the lens flare on the on the the broom handle and it was just like it was just too much it's like let people let people get from that what they will you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I actually like the ending, so I don't agree with that specific point. But I do agree that like the two plus two don't reveal four. Just say two plus two plus two and people are smart enough to figure it out. Yes, yes. I agree. Right now, it's two verse one. Of that. Huh? <laughs> right now, we got two verse one. It's a sweep. Uh... <laughs> OK, well, we'll leave it to the listener. So <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, Star Wars Episode eight to me, it is what it is. And uh, I tried not to let it ruin my Christmas. I guess <laughs> that was it was. Yeah. <laughs> Moral of the story. Uh Maybe an okay movie, I don't know, but it ruined Christmas. <laughs> you know, and a lot of it, I think that maybe you guys need to figure figure your stuff out because I can see you two getting together after that movie and both just, hmm, that movie was the worst, and you guys probably just, like, made it worse for each other, you know? I think. I don't know about that. I mean... <laughs> 
If anything, we were a support group for each other. It was we a support group. Afterwards. We needed each other in that moment. Yeah, yeah that's I, true. I think me and Jack kind of like, yeah, we held each other by the shoulders, like kind of like, oh, man, what do we do? Where do we go from here? You know, how mm-hmm. do I get through my life now? The fallout after the most After the Jedi. most important thing of my life was just ruined. Yeah, yeah. So my five-year plan is shot. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to do. I'm with still myself, recovering. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Well, okay. So uh, let us know what you think about episode eight because we are uh, <laughs> two verse one right now, and I don't feel like I have much backing me up other than myself. So. Well, the uh, thing is, um, we did the top ten TV shows, and it was me, you, Tube Sock, and Mike. And uh, Last Jedi got brought up, and it immediately was three verse one towards me. And like yeah. Mike was like, yeah, well, it's not bad. And Zach was like, I think you should just give it a chance. And so I kind of got quiet. So <laughs> that's why you're like, oh, bro down. Okay, well, I got my chance to. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, it's interesting movie. I'm going to move ahead with mine, though. Um, I'm sure that you guys may have seen a picture that went viral yesterday um, that is pretty much a precursor to a movie that's coming out. I don't know when, but something that I'm very excited about, and it kind of goes along with the 80s nostalgia that play that plays into Ready Player One, something that I'm very excited about. It is Bill and Ted, the third in the trilogy of Bill and Ted coming out. What do you guys think about the anticipation of a new Bill and Ted movie? Because I am like, I don't know, bursting at the seams with excitement for whatever that will be. Did you see that picture? I haven't seen the picture, no. It's pretty sweet. They're, you know, it's Keanu. And then what's the other gentleman's name? Do you know that guy's name? Oh, um, gosh. Now I can't think of it. Great. Billy uh, Crystal? Burt Reynolds. Yeah, Billy, Billy Crystal, is it? Billy Idol? Uh, <laughs> no, keep talking. I'll figure it out. Uh, it's just like they're a little bit older and they're in a phone booth and they both kind of have like their hands against the phone booth and it's just like a, you know, hearkening back to the originals. His, name's, his name's Alex Winter. Alex Swinter? Yeah. Winter. Yeah. Cool. Swinter? Yeah. Is it Swint, Swimmy, Swinnin? Swimmy, Swammy, Swanson, Swanson? Swanson, Swanson? Samsonite. It, uh, it looks, I, I, I don't know. I got excited. I actually saw it this morning, like right before this podcast. So I got really excited seeing that. Nice. Nice. Have you, are you a fan of Bill and Ted, Jack? Yeah, I, I, I enjoy the movies. I can't say the last time that I've actually seen them, but like I had a good time watching them initially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super down for another one. I, I'm maybe... It could go a couple different ways. I think I just don't want it to be a dumb and dumber-er. You know? Right. It's like we, or I guess it was Dumb and Dumber 2. Dumb and Dumber is the prequel, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's, it was Dumb and Dumber Two. T-O. Sorry, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. You know, where you get like the original cast, but they're quite a bit older now. Wait, which one was it though? Was it Dumb and Dumber? Was Dumb and Dumber er the prequel one? Yeah. Yeah. I think so okay, and Dumb and Dumber Two was the one that Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels returned to do. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. Cool. I just don't want it to be that. No. Well, and I hear you. 
I think the thing is, is that the original Dumb and Dumber was such an ama- amazing classic that they were thinking, okay, we bring these guys back, and it's going to be the sequel, and it's going to be awesome, and it's hilarious. Bill and Ted has never been accused of being a great movie. Like, it's just <laughs> an 80s funny thing that happened. Wild Stallions are awesome, but it was totally cheesy, and it didn't, it didn't have any grander expectations or ambitions than just being a funny 80s movie, even though it wasn't an 80s movie at the time because they're just simply living in 1989 but whatever um it was it was just a fun movie and so i think that with this and same thing with the sequel and the sequel kind of sucks but with the third one they're just going to make another bill and ted movie and it's going to be wacky it's going to be hokey but it's going to be fun and i'm not going to go in there thinking this is going to be um an amazing movie or anything it's just going to be another fun bill and ted movie that i can i won't have any grand expectations for it walking in so it will be like a fun experience i think and i don't know i think that keanu reeves put him in anything and i'm i'm down for i am yep right there so down for keanu i gotta say i'm so fascinated to see what it will be like to see him in a role like that again because when he played that role way back when that was kind of his shtick you know, is he was the like, oh, like surfer dude. Right. Right. And and now we've gotten used to seeing him in like John Wick and the Matrix. And like he's he's taken on a very different persona. And so I'm curious how it'll be as an audience member to like see him reprise that sort of role. If it's if it like feels more contrived or like, I, I mean, I, I could see him selling it really well, too. Well, the thing is, with Keanu, uh, people keep asking me if he's back. Yeah, I think he's back. Yeah, he's back. Yeah, I think that they, Alfie Allen is rumored to be the, the bad guy in that one. <laughs> who's, so, who's Alfie uh, Allen? He's Theon Greyjoy. He's the guy that was the bad guy in the first uh, John Wick. I don't know. Oh, Random. yeah. That's yeah, everybody bad. Loves, everybody they loves Alfie him. Allen, so... Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited. In a, in a world where we're getting all of these reboots and all this sequel business, let's bring back Bill and Ted because I think that that could actually be fun. So, and I think that, I think so too. I really do. I agree. We we need more levity. Yeah, totally. Totally. Do you so Absolutely. do you think though? Uh, do you think they're going to go future or past? Uh, I think that they're going. Oh, like they go into the future. Yeah, future or past. I think they go back to the Wild Wild West. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, do you like how I said I, Wild Wild West? Like, it has as to if be that's wild, how it's wild always West. referred to as. <laughs> yeah. It's like it that Will Smith and Kevin Klein movie just always has ruined the Wild West for everybody. You have to throw two wilds in front of West. I'm inclined to say that ah, every time. So oh. we're making multiple jokes, multiple references. Just to be clear, we're referencing Wild Wild West, and we're also referencing Back to the Future 3, um, in case nobody was following there. But, yes, I, uh, I, I, think that, I think that they could probably go to the future, and that what would probably What about something be... like Egypt or something? Like, uh, you know, I don't know, you go back to... The days of the the what have yous, you know, the <laughs> when they when they were with the lions and the. And the you know, well, I think the one. The dunes. I think the thing that works with the first one is that they go to so many different parts in history. You know, it's like they grab so many different key players. So if they did that kind of same thing, except for in the future, and they were just running into so many different versions of the future, I think that that could be something really fun. Because um, I know that they kind of do that in the second one. 
Um, the second then, one they, is really not good. Don't they die and they like meet death yeah. and death is a main character and the yeah. Grim Reaper. Well, yeah. wait, is there is there three of them or is there only two of them? There's only two. Okay, so yeah, that one is the one with the Grim Reaper because yeah, and then like the there's the evil ones, the clones, and they have like the weird robot juice, like the weird face thing that pops off. That's scary. It's really Dang, scary. Dude, you remember this movie more than I do. Oh well. I mean, I saw I glanced at it. <laughs> nice. I maybe passed over it once. Great, great. Um, well, yeah, we're all we're all waiting for Bill and Ted. So excited to see Keanu Reeves and uh, already forgot the other's name, other guy's name. Alex Winters. There it is. Alex Winter. Um, but shall we move on to Ready Player One, gentlemen? Yeah, let's do it. Very excited. Okay, so Ready Player One comes out 2018. It is a novel written by Ernest Cline, which is one of my favorite novels. Um, I don't know if it... I think... Okay, here's something. Have you guys heard people say that that novel isn't that good or that it's kind of like uh, like a crappy... like It's crappy writing, pretty much? Yes, I have heard yes. that. For anybody that thinks that, just don't really be close to me don't be a friend because (laughs) you know what it's like don't be so pretentious you know like just enjoy it for what it is like you know what harry potter is kind of cheesy and stuff but it's freaking awesome and it's so Mm -hmm. good so just enjoy the story for what it is because it's great wouldn't you agree jack i absolutely agree and actually i was thinking about this uh because i've been reading both reviews of the book and uh a little bit of the movie um and I think a lot of it comes down to the way that people view the concept of nostalgia. And so particularly when, as it pertains to like pop culture. Um, and so a lot of, I don't know, I'd say a lot of like cynical people might say that, uh, you know, nostalgia over pop culture of the past um, is really just a way to pretend that it was better in the good old days, you know? Whereas I think for a lot of us, nostalgia is, is more about just intending to remember and celebrate things that have brought us joy. Right. You know, it's, it's more about like re-enjoying something than it is living in the past. You know what I mean? Right. So I think it's two different views of this concept. Yeah, yeah. No, so I, that's why that's why you get people talking about the book that say like, oh, it's nothing but a list of references. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he, they're viewing it as like, oh, well, you know, uh, I love this and I love the oh, DeLorean, oh, Millennium Falcon. Oh, that's why I like this thing. But it's not because of that. It's because it's an incredible story. I mean, there's nothing better than the Willy Wonka, you know, Chocolate Factory esque story. It's like you have to go through all these challenges and blah, 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 just to get control over the entire oasis and a fortune. Like it doesn't get better than that. And it's not, it's not poorly written. I feel like Ernest Klein does a really good job at setting things up. He's great with character development. He, I mean, yeah, I don't really under, I'm kind of right with, right there with you, professor, where it's just like, stay away from me. (laughs) If you you don't like the book. Yeah. I think I think that that's a valid point too. Uh back to your point Jack is that you know 
there's nothing wrong with weaving a story in and out of nostalgia, especially 80s movies and 80s video games and all of that great stuff that we love. Because if there were... Um, if there were to be a virtual reality world where anything's possible, that's what we would do. You know, you would mm-hmm. go climb up a mountain with Batman. You would go try to recreate the, you know, the the plot of war games and try to relive through that. And there's so many there's so many things that you could do when anything's possible. I would totally relive my fantasies and relive movies and relive books that I love so much. So uh, relive my fantasies. What do you guys get? <laughs> Take me to Pleasure Town. <laughs> oh, we're going. Uh, what is that in? Is that Anchorman? Good reference. I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, that's what you would do. So um, the Ernest Klein novel is awesome. And we're going to get, we're going to talk about some of the differences between the novel and the movie in a little bit here. Um, but Steven Spielberg is the guy. I know that there are a lot of directors uh, that were thrown around to direct this film, but Steven Spielberg ends up taking the mantle. And I think that that, I think that he was a great guy for the job. Um, he hasn't necessarily been fantastic uh, in I would even say like the last decade, obviously there's quite a few great movies that he's come up with, but it's been a little bit more of a, not a rough patch, but just a less good patch than we're used to. A boring patch. A very, a stale patch. Yeah. It's like, it's like the potato chips you open up and you see them in the cupboard. You're kind of excited because you just made the sandwich and you're like, oh, I forgot I had these. And you take that first bite and it's kind of like, you know, kind of almost chips a tooth. Yeah. It's like, oh, this was good 10 years ago. Yeah. Like it's got a flavor <laughs> reminiscent of the original, but it's just What's tainted that? now. It's got a flavor that's reminiscent of the original, but now it's kind of tainted. But now you know? it's just, yeah. Yeah. Like that right. barbecue has like a little too much tang on it now. Yeah. Mm. It's just a little, little bit too much, more than you wanted. Moldy. Um, but I think, I think that like this movie is totally the, the very essence of what a blockbuster, a blockbuster should and could be. And he is the guy for it because Steven Spielberg came up with the first blockbuster, which would be Jaws in what, 1975, I think something like that. Uh, Jaws broke every block or uh, every box office record, man, I cannot talk today. Uh, Every box office record. And it was totally just a cult and like, phenomenon throughout all of movie history and then he comes up with uh close encounters of the third kind which pretty much did the same thing then et broke every record there possibly could be he beat his own records and then he goes on to do jurassic park and he kind of gets labeled as the popcorn flick guy he's the blockbuster guy he comes up with movies that you it's just pure escapism and you go to the movies to have a good time and Nobody really. Everybody knows that Steven Spielberg is the funnest director around, but Steven Spielberg wants to be the best director out there. You know, he knows that there's more to him than that. He can come up with a really good movie, so he makes the film Schindler's List. And he had been kind of on the Oscar path for a while. He did The Color Purple, and he did uh, uh, Empire of the Sun, and those types of movies, but they weren't quite a hit. And he does Schindler's List, gets the best picture from there. And at that point, he comes up with DreamWorks Pictures, and he starts having much more control of his career and the movies that he makes. And so over the next 10 years, you think that we're going to get all these like awesome hits, but instead we kind of get, I mean, not to say that Lost World isn't a great movie, but Lost World is kind of not 
nearly as good as the first Jurassic Park and not quite the hit that the original Jurassic Park was. And so you get movies like that or Amistad. Um, and that whole run isn't quite as spectacular. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. You guys so. agree for the most part. Oh, yeah. Um, and so then, and so he kind of keeps making blockbusters, but then I feel like in the last 10 years, he's kind of gone on to this grandfatherly type filmmaking where it's movies that your dad would want to take you to see because it's important. So he makes Lincoln and Bridge of Spies and War Horse, which are all very good movies, and they've gained quite a bit of critical acclaim. But the reason that we all fell in love with Steven Spielberg to begin with is because he made E.T., you know? I love, yeah. I love the ending of E.T. And, and what it stands for and how beautiful it is. And I just want to see him make that type of movie again. And there's some movies where he's tried to capture that magic in the last little bit, like, you know, the BFG, which I did not like. Really didn't enjoy I didn't BFG. see the BFG. What is that, the... It's the big friendly giant, the uh, Roald oh. Dahl book. So <laughs> Got it. I mean, I, I really, worry. I, I don't even remember that movie. And you said BFG, and I was just sitting here trying to think of what that could stand for. My mind <laughs> didn't go good places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything with an F in it? Um, the big fat yeah. guy. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Going back to the potato chips. No. Um, <laughs> But and so, but there's. I, it's just like we've been waiting for Spielberg to return to form, and I think that this movie was his opportunity to do that. And I want to say that he did fulfill his uh, fulfill the acclaim that he that he has previously. Maybe not a hundred percent, but I think that this is one of the most enjoyable movies that's come out in recent years, um, and. I would imagine for somebody that hasn't seen or hasn't read the book, this movie is awesome. Um, so, but I mean, Steven Spielberg, we can all agree. He's probably the best director that there ever has been and maybe ever will be because I mean, who's, who's had more hits than Steven Spielberg, Schindler's list, saving private Ryan, even his more serious movies are incredible. I think we're going to get Nolan. I, would say Nolan's up there. I think we're going to get Nolan coming out here. Here soon. I don't know if he has as many hits yet, but I think, I think he'll get there. Oh, I agree. He's definitely I in the that, conversation. I think. I think that Nolan's amazing, and I think that there's plenty of plenty of directors that uh, have stood out, but I don't think there's anybody that's that shaped the movie industry as much yeah. as Steven Spielberg has. Yeah. He create like he he created the blockbuster. And then he makes his own he makes his own company, you know, to create and release movies that he wants to do. And from the likes of that, we get movies like Saving Private Ryan, which completely redefined what a war movie should and could be. And people have tried to do something like Saving Private Ryan, and nobody's really been as successful as Spielberg is because that's that's what he does. He takes a genre, yeah. he makes the best movie of that genre, and then he moves on. You know what I mean? It's like Saving Private Ryan is the best war movie ever made. Schindler's List, there's nobody, nobody's ever going to make a movie about the Holocaust that's as good as that. And E.T., are you ever going to make see an alien movie better than E.T.? I mean, Independence Day, arguably. Uh, E.T. kind of stinks. Yeah, dude, just honest. watch E.T., man. I'm telling you. you I will haven't love seen it since e. I was a kid. I didn't like it then. I won't like it now. Right, right. Uh, I think <laughs> that you need to revisit it and stop being afraid of E.T. because 
I I'm know. not. He's scary. He's scary at the beginning, Danny. But once you get into the rest of the film, he's a really nice guy. And like the point is that you start to fall in love with E.T. And he's a really he's a great, kind, little snuggly alien and not the Mars attacks guys that you're used to. So I really don't appreciate the way you're talking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't appreciate the way you're talking to me right now. What is that in? I think it might be The Office. Is it not? Maybe. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? Oh, no, it's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, it is. It is. So glad. So glad I got that. I sold the girl, the gal behind the counter a couple shower curtain rings. (laughs) (laughs) You can't rent a car Um, with shower curtain rings. Yeah, but so that's that's the uh, that's the Steven Steven Spielberg rant, and why I think that I was I was so happy to to hear that he was going to do this movie because um, I don't think there's anybody better suited to to take this project on than Steven Spielberg, and I think that he said that this was the one and the top three most difficult movies he's ever made, um, that being. Uh, Duel, which is his first film, which is actually a really good movie. If you guys ever get the, if you have seen it, I don't know if either of you seen Duel. I it's like I don't think so. It's early seventies. It's a it's an interesting one for sure. Um, and then Saving Private Ryan, the other most difficult, and then this. So, um, very interesting. That but, is interesting um, to hear. What's that? That this that this is on that list of most difficult films that he's made. I know, right? It's very funny. But I can imagine. Yeah. 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 So, um, but my general thoughts just on Ready Player One, um, I kind of already said my piece about that, but I think that I've seen it twice now. And uh, the first time I walked, I went to it, I was pretty disappointed um, because it was so different from the book and that was really distracting for me. And the second time I went, I kind of just acknowledge the differences and really just took in the movie for what it is. And it's so fun and it's got all the Spielbergian elements and um, it's just, it's just a great flick. And I really enjoyed myself. I think it hits on most of the nostalgia moments that you want. Um, I think that some of the characters are not quite as good as I would have liked. I think specifically the two leads didn't do as great of a job as I would have hoped. Um, but the overall storyline I thought really worked for me. And I mean, there's just the CGI and the, the battle sequences are freaking incredible. And we'll get more specific about some of those as we go on. But um, I had, I had a really good time. And I think that when, when I leave a movie and I want to just walk back in and see it again. I think that that's that's the biggest indicator that I really did enjoy the film. That's a good and, thing, and yeah. that's and that's how I felt both times leaving this movie. Um, and I apologize. I know that I told you guys that we should only see it once. I didn't realize that I would have time to see it twice. Um, but uh, it was it was super fun. Also, Danny, you talked about. Uh, I know I'm kind of really taking up the conversation here, but Danny's talked about the experience that you have in a movie theater and how it affects the first time you go to a movie. I had the loudest couple I've ever had in a theater next to me. The first time I saw this movie, it was seriously double trouble. You get the couple. Ooh. Oh no, it was bad. And here's the thing. They were talking really loudly, making tons of comments about the movie and it was super annoying, but 
they were eating so loud and they had i'm telling you they had pizza they had nachos oh. they had popcorn they had freaking uh <laughs> mongolian grill i mean Eventually, they, were bring, they just... brought in a whole birthday cake <laughs> dude i'm they not did the whole they... celebration in there oh, oh it's a it was horrible. singing it was and terrible our good friend zach aka tube sock that's been on the podcast previously him and i about 15 minutes into the movie we got up and had to walk to the other side of the theater and we did it loud and like looked at them as we walked by, like this is because of you that we're moving. So um, the first time I saw this movie, I really started out you in a just, bad Would mood. you stop that? <laughs> oh, it was so annoying. So I was, I was in a bad place at the start of this movie and uh, it took me a while to get, to get into it. Um, and so the second time went really well for me. Um, but uh, that's my general thoughts. So I'm going to shoot it over to Jack. What did you think? of 2018's Ready Player One. That's a, that's a rough way to start out. That's a rough way to see it. It was bad. We, uh, we actually kind of had the opposite experience because our, like, our seats were just perfect. We were like dead center. Uh, audio was like right on. And we, we saw it in IMAX 3D, which is not normally something that we do. Um, I know that I, I can't even tell you the last time I saw a movie in 3D. It was probably like two, three years ago. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Um, and just speaking about the 3D alone, it was excellent. I, I was so surprised at how immersive it was. And even throughout the trailers, like when we saw the, the new Avengers trailer, oh, oh my God, it was, it was so rad. Um, <laughs> like seeing, oh man, that's the know, first time I'd seen it on the big screen too. And it was freaking Ooh, sick. So good. awesome. God, like seeing that infinity stone, like lock into the gauntlet. And then like at the end, seeing Spider-Man, like flying through all the, the debris in 3d. It was, oh my God, it was incredible. Um, it, it might've changed my mind on 3d because for years I've been banging the drum saying that it's a total gimmick and like it just Me spoils too. the movie because it, I will still say it does degrade the color a little bit because the lenses aren't totally clear. They're like a, uh, they're like slightly shaded. And so like, if you look back and forth, you flip them up and down, um, you can see the colors dull a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, maybe it's because the movie was so colorful that I didn't notice at all throughout this movie. So yeah. I, like from that alone, I, I had a very good movie going experience. So that probably helped us out um i think you make a great point and i totally agree with you that it is very different than the book and so i think your enjoyment if you are a fan of the book does hinge a lot on your um setting your expectation um i think knowing ahead of time that it is very different will sort of help you remove that filter so you're not sitting watching and saying like well that's not in the book that didn't happen in the book you know, and, and you can just enjoy it for what it is. Because um, I think overall the movie was really successful at what it set out to be. Um, I don't think it was perfect. I think for a number of reasons, uh, it didn't have a ton of drama to it to keep me on the edge of my seat. But it was like so fun and beautiful and charming. It was just a really good time to watch. Um, and I thought it was a fun celebration of like game tropes and concepts with a nice helping of like movie classics rubbed on top. And, uh, you know, if you don't take it too seriously, it's, it's a really good time. No, I agree. I think, and I, that you made a really good point there. Um, I think that 
where it is successful is that obviously the book is so focused on um like 80s arcade games like that's a huge part of it and he does he does do a lot of 80s movies and stuff like that um but i feel like spielberg focused much more on not just 80s movies but like every uh every era of movies and every era of video games and it's super all-inclusive and i think for a modern audience that that made it work a lot more um so there was there was a lot of success in that but um yeah i agree it's not there's it's not perfect, but there was it was definitely super fun. Um, Danny, what about you? How what do you think of it? Uh, I would actually I'd go to lengths to say that I loved it. I really really loved it. Um, when I walked out of the theater, I think that's about all I could. It it took a little bit for me to say that. Um, I think I made the switch in my head, and maybe because I've only read it once, but uh, I made the switch in my head pretty early on after seeing that. Uh, the first challenge, the first task or whatever was a race, I immediately kind of made the switch in my head to, okay, this is going to be a lot different than the book. This is going to be a lot different than the book. Um, To realizing by the end of it that uh, what Ernest Klein and Zach Penn did was just basically write a completely different Ready Player One, um, including new tasks and stuff like that, that it's almost like we got a double filling of greatness on some of that stuff. Um, one version to fit the film and to fit the theater experience and one to, you know, uh, fit the book. And so I had a great time. There was a few things, like there was definitely things throughout the movie that I I glanced over at Jack at. <laughs> um, there was definitely like, you know, just a, a few things, definitely character development, um, the love story and stuff like that. I really didn't get on board with that. So a lot of the character stuff, also just like the real world stuff, there was a lot of that stuff that I just kind of wasn't getting into. But then as soon as it got back to the Oasis, I'm fully, fully committed, fully on board. Um, and by the end of it, yeah, I couldn't say that I didn't like it. And I, I couldn't even get myself to say like, oh, it was, it was pretty good. I kind of had to say like I loved it. I had a really good time. Um and I'm really looking forward to going and seeing it again. So I think you make a really good point there too. Um and that's something I have in my notes is that I found the the real world stuff far less interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's not <clears throat> And I know that that's part of the movie, like that's part of the storyline is that the real world is not as interesting as the Oasis is. Yeah. And that's why everybody spends all their all their time in the Oasis. But I think that it's just every time they left the Oasis, I kind of found myself being like, I don't care as much. And and a lot of it's that I don't I don't know if a lot of those a lot of the characters work as well in the real world. Like that kid, Ty Sheridan. I think that he's a fine actor. He does a good job. But anytime he wasn't his avatar self, I wasn't that into him. And, I mean, I don't know. if Would you guys agree or did you enjoy his performance overall? What do you think, Jack? I mean, I, I, I do agree with you. Um, I think he was much more charismatic as his, his avatar. Um, and I, in general, I was actually really surprised by um, how good these actors were just doing voice work. Right, you know, right, yeah. I, I, I don't think any of them are actually voice actors, primarily, and so I was surprised at how dynamic they were with their voices, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, 
just made it I don't know if they had like a different mindset or something when they were doing voice work versus uh live action stuff but they like, almost just seemed more comfortable in the oasis like everything just felt a little bit more settled in yeah there like i i thought i thought the main dude looked the part you know yeah. he, he he and then he he did a, a decent enough job kind of doing the um the awkward but not too awkward kind of peter parker type nerd you mm-hmm. know where it's like he's awkward but he's not like the popular guy but like he's socially capable i guess you yeah. know what i mean yeah totally um but yeah he he i don't think he had um quite enough charisma like i for example i don't know how deep we're getting in here but um he gave a an impassioned speech at one point in the movie and it didn't quite work for me i mean like everything on either side of it worked like the scenes before it and the scene after it i i bought into and thought was great but like he's trying to do his you know independence day his aragorn speech and like it just wasn't (laughs) quite landing but not this day you know (laughs) yeah yeah it was a little rambly you know i i don't know i'm not Not sure what the solution was there but yeah yeah we go with them no i yeah and that's and that's where i i agree i think that there's just something about him and and maybe it's maybe it's no, it's not the lines. I, I think it was him. Um, I'm like trying to give him any benefit of the doubt. And he does he does a fine job. It's not like I hated him or anything. I just think it could have been better. Um, but I think, I think that, were... that that is that is definitely a big problem in this movie is that the real world stuff doesn't work as much. And I understand that there have to be real world consequences for any of this to feel like there's stakes involved. But it just doesn't work. And at the same time, it's like, maybe if you would have leaned into the Oasis a little more, this movie would have been more successful because that's that's why we were there. You know, it's like we want to yeah. see the crazy Oasis stuff. And so I think had there had there been some of that stuff in the middle that just something was happening in the Oasis instead, uh, it might have worked a little bit better. But um, I mean, those are those are small criticisms, I guess, overall, because um Overall, it did work. I think um, I had I had bigger criticisms from the movie than that actor playing Wade and like his performance. So I don't really even think I looked at it. Like I I, I wasn't going too in depth on his performance just because there was actually things going on that I was like a little bit more concerned with. Um, right, right. I thought I thought he did a pretty fine job. And then I don't know. We'll get into the other to well, the others. Well, I mean, let's let's go ahead and start off. Um, let's just say if you haven't read the book or watched the movie, if you care about spoilers, don't listen any further because we're going to talk about spoilers for both the book and the movie. Um, and I encourage everybody to read or watch both because they're both fantastic and a great time and you will enjoy yourself. Um, but Danny, why don't we start off with you since you were kind of leading into that anyway. What do you think... Were the, did you really like the differences that they made within the plot? Because there are a lot of huge differences. Um, just oh, real yeah. quick, I I went into this movie, and we had talked about this previously, saying we don't want to be those guys that are like, well, it wasn't like the movie, so I didn't like it, or it wasn't like the oh, book, I yeah. didn't like it. Because, you know, I hate being that guy, and I, it's ruined movies for me before, and so I knew this was going to be different, but it was so different. Um, so what were some of the differences that you liked? Some of the differences you didn't like? What's your what's your take on uh, book versus movie here? Uh, well, like I said, from the beginning, like as soon as we started out and it got to that race, you realize that 
the copper key is going to be completely different. Um, and I think I got on board with it. I got on board with it if we're going full, you know, everybody that's listening, you are spoiled. Um, if we're going, you know, that route, I think as soon as it hit The Shining, as soon as that happened, everything kind of locked into place. And I went, okay, I can, I can do this. I'm, I'm into this. I understand it's going to be different, but I kind of get what they're doing right, here. Right. Um, there, I just think a lot, there was a lot of little, little gaps and missed opportunities, I guess. Um, and like we talked about with the real world stuff, like they completely changed with Artemis going into IOI instead of Wade. And, uh, a lot of the IOI stuff didn't really work for me. I thought the ending worked pretty darn well. Um, they left out, they left out a lot of stuff that I would have wanted in there. Like, right. uh, you know, like the club scene, um, they're to kind of just go into a random club in this. Whereas in the book, it's like, this is like the invitation to, you know, they're like mega stars. It's um, like Ogden Morrow's big, big thing. Yeah. And, and, uh, they didn't, you know, they talked about Ludus a little bit, the schooling planet, but I was, I was pretty disappointed when that wasn't a part of it just because it is a big part of the book. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was I was disappointed, but I think I was so encaptured with what was going on in the movie that I didn't let it bug me. And I think if I sit here and pick at it, it might start to bug me a little more. You know, I could sit <laughs> yeah, here yeah. I could sit here and pick at it all day just because You're gonna make I, a scab worse. Absolutely. I already ripped the band-aid off. Um <laughs> but like, you know, I really love the book. And all I want is to see a full-length film. I want to see like a nine-hour film that is exactly the book, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, HBO miniseries. Yeah, HBO miniseries, which I wish they would just do with everything nowadays. But okay. um, but you know, you can't, you can't always get what you want, you know. Um, and so that's just that's just how it is. We got a deal, you know. That's just the way it is. Things will never be. You you started it. Um, With arms wide apart. Oh man, that was oh, my sorry. next one. Uh, uh, okay, um, Jack, what do you, what do you what do you think? Do you, I, I want to more ask what do you think were the biggest differences that irritated you from from book to movie? Uh, you know, it's almost difficult to to answer that because they were so different, you know? So it's, it, it was less like, Oh, it was missing that scene or like they added a scene. It was like, this is kind of a different story. You know, yeah. it's like they, they yeah. took, they took sort of the, the bare skeleton of what the, the novel was just the bones of like, you have this contest, you have, you know, it's, like Willy Wonka and the Matrix, and it's all about video games and stuff. And they told a very different story with similar characters. Um, but if I had to be a little bit more specific, I think uh, Danny started to talk about it, um, saying that he was disappointed that they didn't show Ludus, the, the school planet. Um, that's, my, that's my biggest one as well. Yeah, because I, I think... The book actually takes quite a while to get started. I would say the first, you know, 
third of the book is is actually like just getting everything set up. It's like describing, you know, like you were saying, describing the stakes, describing um, this world, describing like the 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 suffering and stuff that's happening because in this future it's it's pretty bleak. You know, there's um, like in the, in the movie they had him living in Columbus already. But in the book, he lives in a totally different city in a different state. Um, and Columbus is sort of like the the last remaining hope in the United States, because it's like that's where the company is based. And so, you know, that's sort of like the tech mecca. And so everywhere else is just horrible. You know, every it's just like the rest of the United States is just pure slums or wildlands. And so. You know, they, they really set up uh, the importance of the Oasis because everybody, you know, that's how they make a living. That's how they, you know, connect with other people. That's how they get their happiness in this world that's just brutal. Um, and so I think that was sort of the, the biggest thing for me. I think if they, I mean, it was a pretty long movie already, but I think if they had... Uh, set things up a little bit more at the beginning and shown us that world a bit more, I think that would have added more to the drama that I had been mentioning earlier mm -hmm. that it, it lacked. You know, because... All they showed was, like, tennis and, like, surfing and, like, a pole dancing girl. Right. It, it, th that's the problem and is that it, like it seemed it. like everyone was having a good time. You know, it's like... They... they uh, like, at the end of the, the club scene, Artemis is talking about how this is a life-or-death thing. But anytime they show the general population, they're all kind of laughing and having a good time and like playing Call of Duty and like nobody's actually got it that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, and they they show the they show the stacks. And I think that that's kind of a big thing where it's like, oh, that looks horrible. But they don't show how unhappy everybody is living in those things, right. which is also really important. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Definitely. I think that I think it jumps straight into it, which was a good idea. But had we taken like a little bit more time to to set things up and and I really missed the stuff on Ludus. Like I thought that that was a great part of the storyline is that he was a kid in school. And um, I think also a big a big one for me is that I just don't think that that Wade Watts um I don't think that he discovers enough on his own. I think that I really liked in the book how he really knew his stuff. Like he knew his Halliday scholarly, you know, oology as it's called. And um, I really enjoyed in the book how everybody had the opportunity to go look around and find everything, but he didn't because he was poor and he couldn't get off his school planet. And then he finds that the first clue is on Ludus and that he's, he's, you know, he has the ability to do it because he's just in school there and that's the only planet he's, he can go to. And that and gives so, him freedom throughout the Oasis now, which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like that. I mean, but I think that the beginning, the beginning does start out well. Um, 
I, I, I agree with the decision to like skip through that stuff because it is, it's a two hour and 20 minute movie and they pretty much skip the first third of the book. Um, so they're, I don't know. It's, it's good. I'm trying to think of any other differences, but I pretty much agree with what you said, Jack, in that it's, it feels like, and I pretty much said this to a friend of mine last night, we were talking about it. It feels like they didn't really include much of the beginning or much of the middle, you know, it's very stripped down to the bare essentials and they went from A to Z, except for they cut like A through F and they just started at F. And so it's like F to Z, uh, but we're going to change and jostle the the letters in between. Uh, let me stop you right there, David, uh, because I think they actually went from H to Z. Oh, <laughs> zingers. We got zingers today. We are nitpicking. <laughs> uh, no, very nice. Okay, so we'll go uh, H, H through Z. What, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say, so Danny was just starting to get into uh, the love story. He, he mentioned that the love story was not working for him. Just kind of all of a sudden was like, I love you. And all of us are like, wait, when did that happen? Oh, so, so that was a big difference, I thought, uh, between the, the book and the movie, um, was that in the book, there's actually a, second, or a section of like six months where um, Parzival and, and Artemis, they kind of take a break from hunting hardcore, and, and they, they kind of start dating. And it's dating, but they don't call it dating. And so there's a good six months of development where... It's kind of like a book montage where, you know, it describes them hanging out, just watching movies, you know, having long discussions and and all this stuff. And so when he says that to her in the club, you you already see it coming and you're like, ah, don't say it, dude. But you 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 get why he says it, because the book earned it because it set it up. Right. Uh, whereas the movie, I think they really only saw each other twice. They saw each other at the race like twice. Yeah, and, and then, it's like, are we supposed to understand that they've been communicating for a while? Like, because it does set it up in a way that there could have been a time lapse in between whatever just happened. Mm -hmm. um, but they really don't say that there is a time lapse or anything. So it does very much feel like they are hanging out for like the second time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I completely agree. That I love you part was totally cringeworthy. Yeah, and then, like, oh, you know, cause bro, that, way too soon. that was one of the weird Oasis things. And then that carried over to the rooftop scene with them where, you know, in the book, they don't even see each other till the very end. But, yeah, uh, and this, yeah. you know, all of a sudden they're together, but then all of a sudden she's like holding his hand and they're like yeah. getting really close. And you're like, gosh, is this just okay? We just have to accept that these two are really into each other in the Oasis. And I mean, they're just like overly into each other, like immediate. Yeah. You are amazing. Yeah. Which I think, I think that that's, you made a, you make a very good point. Um, I I think that the the romance was it I don't know if it was handled very well and it was definitely rushed. Bum bum ba bam. Sorry, I had to make the the rush reference. But um it it was. It went way too fast for me and um I don't think that that's I don't think that that's a criticism from book to movie. I think that that's just a pure storytelling standpoint. The, yeah, the romance I think... was way too rushed and it didn't feel genuine. Yeah, um, that's not even like yeah, that's that's just yeah. a bad movie. Thing. Yeah, I mean, none of it felt movie, none of it felt earned it. at all. Yeah. Um, and 
and also another difference in from book to movie is that he sees they they all meet each other far before the end of the book um or far before the end of the end of the film and um I think that most of that I got on board with. I was, I was, I was fine with it. I think it worked, but between him and Artemis, I think it was way too soon. I think so. they, I think they could have, they could have had him meet everybody else and still held off the Artemis thing. Exactly. I think if they would have done that in the movie, it would have been a little bit more clever. I really yeah. do. I think, I think that could have worked well for them. Um, just from a story a storytelling standpoint, I think it would have worked well in the film, and it did work great in the book. Well, well, why not have him almost get killed by IOI and then have um and then have his friends come find him? Like H and Saito and yeah. Sho had already like figured gotten together and figured out and then they just save him or something and then he's with them and you find out that Artemis was abducted. I mean, like that just that seems more reasonable to me than having the quick the quick them getting together and all that stuff. Um, but I think we need to break down the beginning of the movie, but real quick, it look, Jack, yeah. it looks like you got something to say there. The only thing I was going to say, uh, was that I, I don't think that they even needed to, to meet that early. I think it would have been actually pretty easy to write it in such a way that, that they didn't because in the movie, he gets like kidnapped in his van. Right. And then he wakes up and they're at her little, naturey compound and then it's it's not it's like five minutes later the ioi show up and they have to split up anyway yeah. you know like yeah. she sends him out in the alley where he meets up with h so it's like he could have just met up with h yeah yeah you know or even just, just like somebody else and there's like he's like where am i and it's like artemis had you taken here she'll be back here shortly sure or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. totally yeah yeah it's like no okay. i yeah totally i agree um there was a better way to handle that. So that's, that's one of my biggest, my biggest concerns. Um, but let's from purely a cinematic standpoint and filmmaking, uh, beginning of this movie is so awesome. Like yeah. it starts out and it digs in with the, uh, might as well jump, man. I like, I love the decision on that song to start things off. I thought it started it out on a very lighthearted, uh, very in a very lighthearted way. Um, I really enjoyed the um him climbing down the stacks and the pizza box delivery. All that stuff did very well to kind of explain the world that they're living in, or at least where technology is at that point. Um, I really enjoyed that and the explanation of the whole hunt for the egg and all of that was. I thought it was really well handled, and I mean, because there is a lot of there is a lot of exposition that needs to happen in order for us to understand what's going on and mm -hmm. i think they handled it in a way that was super entertaining and it wasn't it, it wasn't boring you know what i mean yeah because that yeah it's like somebody has to read like three pages from the novel for you to just be like okay that's the world we're living in but they did it in a way that really that really made you enjoy yourself and set up set up the world of the oasis really well um and so, holiday's video was great with the quarters on his eyes or whatever and then so good um, yeah i i really enjoyed the video too i thought that they did a fantastic job with that and um and then the way you know that he pretty much sets up the contest and then just poof, ready player one it it felt very it felt very um appropriate for me and then they jump straight into the race which i thought was another great call it's like you got five minutes 
three to five minutes of intro and then you're into the biggest set piece in the movie other than the ending and that race was unreal it was one of the that's one of the funnest experiences i've had watching something in a theater is that race because it was just it was awesome Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was beautiful um i i think if we're talking about the 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 race there it kind of it it leads me to uh a small criticism that I had, I, I felt like the movie was, the movie is um, Willy Wonka plus The Matrix plus Indiana Jones. Or that's what the book is, I should say. You know, right. he even in the book, he even has his grail diary that he's keeping. And, and is, that's like how he's tracking all of the details of Halliday's life. Um, and I felt like the movie could have used a little bit more Indiana Jones. Like it could have used just a little bit more of solving those riddles trying to f- understand the phrasing of the words and um the only issue i had with the solution of the first the first challenge was it it felt a little lazy cuz he was you know they go to this this giant library which is another invention of the movie they go to this library that is Halliday's journals it's everything that he recorded and they're about all himself video logs too they're all video logs um and I was able to buy it just fine. The, the part that I didn't totally click with was um, he's watching this scene play out from Halliday's past, um, and he's watching Ogden Morrow and Halliday kind of have this breakdown and argument about the future of their company. Um, and Halliday kind of wants to go back to when the Oasis was just a game because originally it was a game that then changed into like a second life sort of all encompassing experience. And Halliday wants to go back. And that's sort of the hint, except for as Parzival's walking away, thinking that he gleaned everything that he could from the scene. Halliday looks out of the video journal directly at Parzival as he's walking down the hall and says, I wish we could go back, like, really fast, like, pedal to the metal. And it was like, it was just a little too on the nose. Like, that was, that was giving the audience four right there, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, like totally. If, if it was just Ogden Morrow and Halliday talking and, you know, Halliday says, you know, I just, I really wish we could go back. And, and Ogden Morrow says, you know, you can't always look behind you. You know, like if, if it was just that and that's what clicked his his intrigue about trying to go in a different direction, I think that would have been awesome. Yeah. Wish we could yeah, go back. No, I wish we I, could start at the finish or something like that, you know? And yeah. it's like, oh I I totally agree because that's something that that's a criticism that I have over pretty much the entire movie. Is that I thought I thought that all of the all of the keys and all of the gates worked, but I don't feel like he had to work for any of them. And that one's a big one because he does. He just lays out four instead of two plus two for you. And if I don't know, if they would have just 
because how many people have watched all of those videos and nobody put together that you should go backwards at the beginning and nobody ever over the millions of people that have probably tried that race nobody's tried to go backwards yet you know what i mean it's like come on somebody somebody had to sacrifice themselves and zero out just to hit the wall or something and then they wouldn't have hit the wall i mean it does feel fairly unlikely that nobody had tried that before um so i definitely i can see I can see where you're coming from, but I'm I'm actually a little bit on board with it. I thought uh, it wasn't quite canned cheese. It was like a nice Gouda or like blue cheese. Um, and I, as far as the challenge goes, it's one of those things that like I look at it as the moviegoer, like that perspective to somebody who hasn't re- you know read the book. It's like, okay, cool. So there's these tasks, and then it goes uh, and somebody figured out that it was a race and now we're all trying to do that. And it kind of just puts you right there. It's like, okay, so there's, okay, so there's this race. Everybody's trying. Nobody can get past it. And they just continue to keep trying. I get that. And then like kind of gets you into the video logs. And I thought that was, I don't know. I didn't really quite get the four for me as far as Halliday saying that. I thought it was just one of those things to where like, wish we could go back pedal to the metal but like how many people really know that they need to be looking in that log in particular i don't know how many people would actually go straight to that um well so- like, i guess what made that sort of strange for me though is that it's it's supposed to be uh the video log is supposed to be just a recording of his past right and and yet that part seemed like it was directed specifically toward the contest you know what I mean? So it didn't. It, it felt almost like he went back and edited that part, yeah. specifically yeah. to put the clue in That's there. That's kind of what I got from it. And I, I think if they had maybe hinted at that just a little bit, that he maybe edited that previous one, I, I probably would have bought it more. Yeah. No. I I, it was just the fact that yeah, like I, see that. I was watching this scene thinking that it was a a pure recreation of his past. Yeah, no, absolutely. You with us? I don't know what you guys said, but... <laughs> I used to say it was like, it's just like a recreation. Like, he wanted it to be like a... He didn't feel like it was a pure recreation of his past, kind of. Yeah, right, like it, right. it felt out of place. Cool, cool. Um... Well, that's so I I think that but I think it all of it, it all worked for the most part and they get through the first task and it it was fun and they have. Oh, we kind of skipped that first. I really like the first meeting of um, they kind of show the relationship between H and uh, and Z. And then they also show Z meeting Artemis for the first time. And her character introduction is pretty sweet. You know, it she's is. like the hot chick that rides up on the motorcycle and she's dominating during that race. And, um, and you know, she's ready motorcycle. To... Very the, cool motorcycle. It's the, it's the Akira motorcycle. What's that? Akira is like, it's one of the most amazing anime films of all time. It's like oh, one of the most okay. influential anime films that has been like echoed and imitated and it's influenced every anime that's come out since like the 80s. Cool. Nice. So it's, See, it's that's, one of I miss iconic. There's probably place. a ton of references that I Oh, missed there's so many so that many. I missed. 
Yeah. yeah. And that's in it, you know, this is such a good movie to rewatch because you can look for something new every time you watch it. So it's um, kind of like the dude, it's kind of like the fog this morning. I tried to catch it, but I missed. <laughs> good one. That's okay. No, no, so, point. But I good. missed. <laughs> Did you get- <laughs> like I don't even know what to say. <laughs> oh, good All work. Right. Um, but I did, I did really enjoy H as a character. I thought the whole like get out of my swamp thing was like a little bit much for me. Um, I thought that you know the squatters in the swamp and uh, the thing between him and Fa- him and Farquad was oh. it just didn't land quite as well for me. Uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like it's like a shade off from being Shrek. I mean, come on. It is um, so close. It's pretty. It's pretty good. But um, no, I, I like Shade or I like H a lot. I thought that that character was awesome, and I thought that the choice because in the book H is just a normal dude. Um, but I thought that the choice to make H into uh, like pretty much an orc is that what we're trying to assume? Kind of looked like that orc from the first Hobbit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, but I thought that that was a good call, and uh, and to make you know the sex of that character um, very ambiguous because uh, you know it's just an orc. So I thought that was great. Yeah, no it's like as season. the as the moviegoer, if if you hadn't read the book, you're kind of like you probably wouldn't know that it's a girl. But since we all read the book, like you know it's a girl, and then you're kind of picking up little subtleties in the voice or in the things that she said that you're like, oh yeah. But like you wouldn't realize that if you hadn't read the book, which I liked. I think that was a they did that pretty well. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, was great. That was actually a concern of mine, uh, knowing that you know even on the billboards and and all the ads for the the movie, um, they were revealing the actors that were playing these roles, you know, and a, and a big part of the the book is revealing who H is. You know, so I was I was a little concerned that that was going to be spoiled for a lot of people, but I was actually surprised that they they handled it pretty well. Like they didn't reveal Our it. Our theater right away. was like, oh, yeah. like there was a there was like an audible gasp when it was when H was revealed, which was great to hear. Yeah, because I mean they they didn't wait quite as long as the book did, because I mean it's revealed in the last like ten percent of the book, really really close to when we uh, we meet Artemis in real life too. Um, right, right, but. They did a pretty solid job of, of holding off on her identity uh, until like halfway through the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was good. And I thought they, I thought the age character, like in in the Oasis and in real life, I thought that that actress did a phenomenal job. She was one of the only ones that I really got on board with. She was one of my favorite parts, and that's, I mean, that's kind of something where there's a portion of this um, of the film that doesn't include uh, H. And I feel like it's a little less because because uh, he or she uh, wasn't included. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that character. Um, but I thought that that whole conversation and that that scene was really good. And um, we kind of mentioned the uh, the holiday video uh, logs and that museum. Um, 
I thought all of that worked. And I think that uh, just from the film standpoint, I think that that did a good job of kind of giving everybody a frame of reference for how you would learn so much about Halliday. Um, so I enjoyed that. Uh, I thought that the the little butler was a little Ask Jeeves for me. Um, I thought it was kind of, I, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that aspect. I just mostly wanted to drop the Ask Jeeves joke because that was fun you guys remember that it's like the the google or the search engine that had the little butler guy next to it no i think that was before my time yeah i I think that was before my time man i think that was way before my time yeah that was a long time before my brush that one off and just uh keep plugging along um but i yeah all that worked for me (laughs) excuse me what'd you say (laughs) What you looking at me? But no, that that was all good, and so and then the relationship between Artemis and Z starts, and uh, that pretty much. Oh, let's get into the bad guy. So, uh, so we talk about Nolan Sorrento, and they introduce his character and um, IOI, and which is pretty much a company that is trying to take control of the Oasis and they sell like all the haptic kits and all the gear for the Oasis, but they don't actually have direct control over it. Um, but they actually have what they go into later as these loyalty camps. Is that what it is? Which yeah. they pretty much yeah. buy people's, they buy people's debt and then they pretty much put them in indentured servitude in which they'll never get out. Um, so IOI is kind of like, I thought like a good analogy for Sally May or Navient. <laughs> Student loan joke. Um, but I thought that that was, I thought that they did a good job of explaining all of that. And I really liked the scene where he talked about how they could put advertisements up on the screen like for in the goggles and that there was a certain percentage of the screen that could be filled before people started having seizures and that i mean like that seems like a very extreme thing to talk about but it did feel so realistic as to what big corporations would do with this stuff and it's purely just that nolan sorrento character and the people that are in charge of ioi they just like don't understand what this is like what video yeah. games are and like they're sucking the fun out of it and i thought it was they handled that really well and it does such a good job um of creating an analogy to like the present state of things especially with you know the idea of like net neutrality coming around or um things that you know like a lot of video games now you have to have in-game purchases to even go farther um I thought so much of that was just so relevant in the uh, video game atmosphere and the internet atmosphere that we have going on right now. So I thought it did a really good job of handling all that. Jack, what did you what did you think about that? I would imagine as you're you're you work for a video game company, so you probably have a little bit of insight on this. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think in terms of parallels to uh, the real world, I think it, it is definitely very realistic. Um, I think that is not the first time that that sort of conversation has taken place. You know, I don't think that they invented the conversation of how much of the screen can we fill with advertisements? Right, right. You know, um, and while that's the case, I, I think cinematically, I don't think the villains were that strong. Um, I felt like it, it kind of plays into what I was saying at the beginning that um, the movie is, it's much more lighthearted than the book is. The book is actually pretty serious. 
um, there's not a ton of humor in it, to be honest. Like, I, I'm rereading it this week, and I'm like, it's really engaging and gripping, but there's not... It's fun, but it's not, like, a funny book. Whereas this movie is really funny, and I, I didn't feel like the villains, uh, Sorrento in particular, um, were intimidating enough to really create the drama. Like, you know, we see him in the past as sort of the, the lowly intern, you know, that Halliday's just ignoring, and he's like a coffee guy, and, you know, we see him kind of getting pushed around in the meeting that he's supposed to be leading, and we see him, like, he's got, like, a little post-it that shows his password on it. Like and so he just man 69. Right, like, he doesn't seem like a... Like he's that capable of a villain, you know, um, yeah. and so he didn't really, he didn't really, you know, strike fear into my heart or anything like that. Like I wasn't really afraid for the uh, the protagonists because of that. Um, yeah. And even even looking at uh, the rest of the company, um, while the the um, the indentured servitude pods, uh, while those were kind of I don't know, that, that was aggressive, but looking at, like, all the rest of the staff there, they, like, all, all the people, like, trying to sort out what game you're supposed to play and, like, how they solve the final puzzle, and, you know, you see this big room full of people all trying to sort out the, the final challenge, they all seem like cool people. You know, they're, happy, all, like, they're all, like, nice giggling people. and having a good time, and, like, they didn't seem... Like the the enemy, the soulless like empire sort of corporation. You know what I mean? That right. it was in the book, and so um, I felt like Sorrento and IOI. I felt like that was kind of the weakest part of the movie for me. Was even if you didn't set up the stakes uh, at the beginning, you know, even if you did just cut in like they did, I think they could have had more tension by just having a more intimidating villain. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that, I think a big part of it is, and that's, I walked away the first time I saw this feeling disappointed. And I think that, I think that Nolan Sorrento not being an intimidating villain was a big part of it because I think they got a lot of those parallels and those analogies really dead on, but I think that he just didn't seem intimidating. And that was, that was a problem for me. I like what do you guys think about what's that? I like, well, is that what you were just about to ask? I was going to ask. I was going to say, what do you guys think about it? It's Ben Mendelsohn, right? Yeah. I yeah, actually, you... I, I really enjoyed his performance. Um, I, th- I think that the character could have been a little bit different. But when I first saw it, when I saw that he was cast in this, there's a couple actors actually that I saw that were cast in this that I was very on the, uh, on the fence about. But uh, I ended up liking the actors that I didn't think I'd like and not liking the ones that I thought I would like. Um, I thought he did a pretty good job. And but has he had some teeth changes like veneers or something? Because I liked in in all honesty, I liked what was going on with like his his speech, like his he seemed a little bit different than like Rogue One or something like that. He just uh he seemed kind of like corporate boss man 69, you know, and he um I also really liked his avatar and I thought they nailed that. Yeah, that was um, sweet. And so, in his voice in the Oasis and all that stuff, um, yeah, I liked him. I just think maybe his character could have been... I think IOI in general could have been different. I don't think 
his character need to, needed to be rewritten too much. I think they right. just kind of they kind of just missed it. Like if they had him giving some big speech to like a giant room full of these people or something like that, and they're all like saluting, kind of like a a Nazi esque thing. I think that could be like a cool way of representing that to make you feel terrified. You know, if they had something like that, then it would make you feel scared. But it was kind of you know there was a little bit of slapstick in there. Um, <laughs> and they and they do they it's pretty much I think that Ben Mendelsohn does a good job in just about any movie of playing playing a leader that's not entirely capable but he's trying desperately to convince everybody that he is capable yeah, he's a typecast and that's and he does that in you know Rogue One and he does that in this and I think Dark in Night this Rises. maybe if we just didn't spend as much time in the real world then I wouldn't have noticed some of the the incapabilities of that character and you know and they they make fun of him in a couple ways and I think it is funny but it's like it's just a recurring theme in movies nowadays it's just put a freaking good villain in there you know yeah like we don't want it we're not we want to see the villain lose but we want to see we want to hate him first, you know? Do you feel and in this, it's just like, I hate him because I didn't take him seriously because he just kind of is an idiot, you know? Yeah. And and I think it's good because he stands for pretty much the corporations that are in charge of these things and they don't actually get what people like about it. But um, I, at the same time, I think that, I think it could have been more intimidating. So I completely agree. Um, but moving on, also, Irock. What do you guys think about that character? I... Uh, in the in the book, he's like a friend of theirs, and he kind of betrays them. And I really, he didn't really play much of a role other than giving up the first key to um, the IOI, the Sixers. And um, this, he was much more of a large role. And it's also T.J. Miller. And I thought that that was, I thought that he was a great character. And I thought that he moved the plot along. And he also um, he also provided a lot of much needed. Uh, comedic relief because that what's the, what's the obelisk of or the uh the what's, the, what's the portal called oh the portal the portal or the shield the shield excuse me the shield yeah the orb of something the something orb of awesome Nas or yeah. something like yeah that. and Oscillate. the way he says it multiple times and he always delivers it like the the orb of <laughs> what's his name in it Iraq. Iraq. He's like, how are you, Iraq? He's like, well, I think I'm going to need physical therapy or whatever he says. What is <laughs> yeah. it? He's like, if you can just stand to my, well, my left, you're right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reoccurring, <laughs> reoccurring. He had, he had some great, mo- he had some great lines. Um, he did. Remind me to, we can get into his, his line at the end because it's probably the best line in the whole movie. Um, but yeah, he, he was great and I really enjoyed his character and uh, his kind of, his menacing and really intimidating figure in the oasis but then the way when he starts talking it's just not at all an intimidating guy i i thought that that was great and i think that that very much represents that video game culture too of you act like you're such a ba uh when you're in a video game but really it's usually just some skinny dude like eh. yeah yeah <laughs> and it, and it, it's great it's awesome i love that so i thought that i thought his character was was awesome um and i guess that kind of that leads us to, I guess there's the dance scene. Um, would you, go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say on, on Iraq. So I, I'm a massive TJ Miller fan. I thought that right. he was just phenomenal. Um, he was probably, he was maybe my favorite character in the movie because he was just so funny. Um, my only wish is that I wish they just made, made him into a different character. 
I think because, you know, all the other characters are very similar to the way that they were in the book, just tweaked a little bit to fit the movie. He essentially played the polar opposite of what he was in the book, where in the book he plays a very small role. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of this, like, dopey, low-level failure bro type guy, right? He's, like, really overconfident. I mean, his name is I-Rock, you know? Right. And that, that says everything you need to know. And um, he, he thinks he knows best. He thinks he's awesome. And he just, like, completely falls flat in the book. Um, and then in the movie, they, they made him a much more central figure, and he's really, really high-level and skilled. And so I kind of wish they just made him a new character, you know? Because they, they, they added a couple other characters. Like, there was that finale character that I thought probably could have been left out. An un- unnecessary, completely. Yeah. Wait, which one are we talking about? I, it was kind of Sorrento's enforcer lady. Oh, yeah. yeah she was, yeah. It's just like, just don't. Yeah. It's unnecessary. And they we spent, don't need they it. They just gave her too much screen time. Yeah. I agree. So, I mean, if you're, if you're already in the business of, of creating new characters, you know, Iraq was such a small part of the, the book. Just leave him out and make a new character. Yeah. Otherwise, I thought he was phenomenal. Like, I, I don't want them to, like, rewrite him at all. Just, just call, him, call him something else. Yeah. Just change the name. <laughs> That's a tiny nitpick, yeah. though. From a, um, you know, yeah, is it Danny or Denny? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Pick a lane. Um, no, I... Uh, so moving on to, like, there's that whole the nightclub scene. I don't think we need to really go into it, honestly. Um, we should probably just move along to... There's just... He has the cube, and it rewinds things. The cube Yeah, the of... Zemeckis cube. I thought that was yeah. that was a great reference. That was fun. I love the... There's so many Back to the Future references in this, and I And just the dancing was fun. The dancing was the, fun. The dancing was fun. I it got the that. theater moving. It got me moving. I know that much. I was kind of I thought about standing up. They paused the movie. They actually lowered a disco ball into the theater, blasted the projector right at we it. We had a party, and dude. We were in there for like four hours, just having a good time. I tell you. You're like, can we start the movie again already? Uh, I want to keep dancing, but I want to finish this movie too. <laughs> um, so that that scene was really cool. I, li- I liked all of that. I thought that that was very good. Um, but from there, then... He reveals his name, and then that's when IOI, Nolan Sorrento, makes the threat against him. And I did enjoy them whispering all that stuff in Sorrento's ear, you know, about, like, John Hughes movies. And he's like, those are the high schools from, or John Hughes didn't direct Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Animal House and all that. I mean, that was that was really clever. And um, I just want to pop think, open a tab and listen, listen to, to some Duran Duran. Duran. <laughs> I like that. I, I, I feel like in a movie like this that is so built on references, it's kind of like, what do you pick? Which movies do you, and what movies and what video games and what bands do you highlight because what really are the staples and what are people going to really love? And I think that they did a good job of picking a lot of a lot of really good references and the Duran Duran tab bit, I thought that was hilarious. Um, but And John Hughes, also another great filmmaker, which we've discussed on this podcast. Um, I thought that was another, that was really good reference. Um, also the Goro. Goro with the alien coming yeah, out of the, the chest. Yeah, the alien coming out. That was amazing. Excellent. Yeah, that I love that. That was like amazing. Yeah, that blew yeah. my mind. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Um, but from there, you know, he turns him down, and then his uh, 
mom's sister, his aunt, gets killed with her boyfriend, which I was like, great. Uh, glad I don't yeah, have to see either of those characters on screen. <laughs> and they were, yeah, not fun to look at. So not not fun to be around it was just like okay and i get it they were establishing the character that his life isn't that great and that's why he spends all the time in the oasis but i was ready to move on and they killed him, him and that was that was fine with me um Turn him and into so toast. then artemis finds him or whatever and then they have their little hand holding moment and we get to probably the coolest sequence in the entire movie mm-hmm. can you guys agree with me here absolutely right? yeah so do, in the book a big thing is that they do these walkthroughs of movies and they choose what war games and Monty Python and the Holy Grail in the mm-hmm. book, which neither of these would have looked no neither of those would have looked good on screen. Um, so I'm glad that they went with a different movie entirely. And if you're gonna walk through a movie, what's a good one to do? Go to, you know, go back to the basics. Stanley Kubrick, one of the best directors of all time, and you pick one of his best movies, The Shining. I was and you freaking make it, like, out. Was that? I was freaking out. Oh my gosh, it was so cool! Like, it was, and Danny it, and I talked about The Shining on the podcast. So when they were like, you know, a creator who hates his creation, I was like, oh, Stephen King freaking hated the he hated The Shining. That's yeah. awesome. It's like, and I I love that we're some of the probably few people that like really knew that for sure. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people that know that, but and just um, like and just the the music setting up that music, how it was straight from the movie. The set oh. was incredible. Like it, it was like I can't believe we're gonna we're gonna go into The Shining right now, and I didn't know how authentic it would be. And then it was like, oh my gosh, I'm in The Shining right now. Like this is, it was outrageous, man. That was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in the theater, probably. It it really stood out, I think, particularly because uh, throughout the rest of the movie, when you're in the Oasis. You, everything kind of like it meshes together really well you know you see their avatars and you see the environments they're in and it makes sense but actually seeing them juxtaposed with something that you know really well that they do not fit into namely like this hotel on the shining it was yeah. like this is weird and i like it you know yeah. this is really strange mm-hmm. yeah i mean Part of me is like, I wish that they would have done that with one more movie or something, you know, because it was just, it was so cool. And it's probably a good, good decision just to do, just to leave it. The second task is a movie. But the comic bit too in there is just the funniest. I was dying laughing because H is like, I've never seen this movie. And then it just continues to go. And he's like, well, I've never seen it. Is it, is it really that scary? And then the tennis ball rolls up. And you're oh. like, oh, no. And he and just goes through it. He's like, but oh, that's the girl. beauty of it. Because, yeah. because Steven Spielberg is such a, he's such a great filmmaker. And he, he puts a movie in that hopefully most people know. And if they don't, it was probably entertaining enough. But for those of us that have seen that movie enough to really know all the, the big moments in the movie – as soon as the tennis ball hits, he sees the little girls, and H is just wandering into this thing like an idiot. Just like, hey, little girls, you all know how to get yeah, out of here? Hey. And you're like, oh, don't follow them. Dude walks up to the elevators. It's like, oh, don't go in there, man. Like, it's not going to be good for you. And then the tasteful little swing into room 237, and it's just everybody's like, oh. Oh, no. It's not going to be good, get man. It's not going to be good. Dude, that was probably the greatest bit of tension in the movie, like the most amount of drama, because yep. we we know The Shining, you know, but he doesn't. And so when yeah. he's going, it, there there's the, 
yeah, all of us are like, you know, oh, no, don't go in there. No, 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 no. You know, like, we're just really hoping he'll turn around. You know? Well, and it's also, I mean, because that's a total, like, horror movie trope, you know, is that characters are walking into stuff, and you're like, oh, don't go in there, dude, don't go. And so it's really fun to watch, like, this, in this movie, there's just this small little bit of watching a character wander through your one of your favorite horror movies and knowing exactly what's going to happen to him. And you're still on the edge of your seat like, dude, it's not going to be good. That old lady's going to get out of there and then she's going to turn into a crazy zombie lady and try to stab you or start melting away in it's front of like, your eyes. It's like watching your friend watch a horror movie that you like a lot. It's almost totally. to that, you know, it's like watching, say you love, I don't even, probably not Scream, but... I don't know, paranormal activity or something like that. You know what's coming next, and you're like, say you love that movie over the top more than you probably should. But, you know, you're watching your friend go through it, and it's just fun. Like, I I really loved how well they got that. And the all mm-hmm. work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. Like, they even had that on right. the typewriter. Like, oh, I loved it. Yeah. But it played, it played into the challenge really well, yeah. which was cool. You know, it wasn't just a reference to The Shining. It was actually the clock for them to to complete the challenge. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I agree. And I think that I think that choosing The Shining was a really, really solid call because you can pick any movie, you know, it could have been anything. And The Shining was a really good decision because I think that that was that was just what the movie needed at that moment. But on the other side of things, I didn't love the end of the challenge. You know, it's like his biggest leap was that he should have taken advantage of the moment with Kira, all that stuff. Um, And so she has to jump on the zombies and then try to find her. It's like, you couldn't have thought of anything better than that. I mean, it just it just seemed like that whole scene was awesome, and then the climax of it was kind of lame for me. Um, and I still I think it, I still think it ended up fine. It's just kind of like it's like they spent all their energy on recreating The Shining, and then the actual point of the scene was kind of like, oh yeah, and then she just jumps on zombies and gets out of there. Well, yeah. It then just, all you had to do was just get around all that stuff and go straight to the ballroom, which is extremely easy. And just walk in there and jump a couple stones and yeah, totally. Exactly. It's pretty easy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I think that some of the coolness of that scene was somewhat negated by the ending, but I still thought that that was like the best. And I loved that scene more than any other in the movie. I really enjoyed all of that. Um, so anything, any other thoughts on the shining there, boys? I mean, I I was just gonna say, I, I agree with you. Uh, that the finale of of that sequence could have been stronger because I, I feel like what made that whole section of the movie work was that it's it's forcing the characters to operate on the shining's terms. You know what I mean? And then in the finale, it kind of goes back to pure video game land, which was too much. You know, hopping on zombies. It just it, that's not something. They should have had shining. you have to just go through that big maze, right? Like it should have been something like that. You know, the big maze in The Shining, like something that fit better with the tone of the movie. Thing, to the middle, because in the middle of the maze in The Shining, there's like the big statue of the lady or whatever. It's like you could have just had them go through the maze to the big statue and then have something happen there or something. I don't know. No, I agree. Yeah, I think I could have been better in numerous ways. So um, I did like the callback at the end, though, when she gets the key and it shows all the Sixers trying to go through the Shining and they're all just sitting there getting attacked and horrible things happen to them. That was that was a pretty good bit. Um, But at that point, that's when Artemis and Z uh, Artemis gets abducted by the Sixers 
and Z gets out of there and meets up with H. And uh, yeah, I she's like, "Will you come to my swamp?" And I really enjoyed all that. Um, Shrek Big going go. any better? You guys still still on yeah. board with the Shrek thing? <laughs> it's like I'm nervous trying to do the Shrek accent though, because I don't want to mess it up. You know, like <laughs> hey donkey. It's like you have to say donk donkey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think all your other words with it are pretty far off. <laughs> yeah, man, my Scottish accent, Scottish accent isn't going very well. Oh boy, I'm just not even gonna try, guys. Gosh, I'm so excited to do the Shrek bit. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. That's it's a okay. nice boulder. That's a nice boulder. Ah, huh? donkey. Hey, donkey. Ah, okay. donkey. Um, moving on. Uh, I thought that the. Revelation of H was one of the best parts of the movie. Um, and the way she said it could be some, you know, 300 pound fat guy in his basement or whatever that was. And I really liked those two characters played that very well. And um, then the revelation of Saito and show. Um, I really Saito. enjoyed both of those guys. I thought those actors were pretty good too. What do you guys think about Saito and show? Uh, shoot to you, Jack. Isn't it Daito? I, it's Daito. I thought it's they Daito. were... Oh, is it Daito? It's Daito, yeah. Dave. Come on. No, it's Daito. Bummer. You saw it twice. We saw it once. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, disappointed thought, with myself that I was getting it wrong. <laughs> I thought the characters were decent. Um, I, I, I had a little bit of a, a hard time uh, buying into them initially, primarily because um, their introduction was the first thing that threw me about the start of the movie. That, that was like so different from the book that they were friends already. So it was kind of like, you know, we get the intro, we see him strutting in and and then, you know, he's he's chatting with H or whatever. And then uh, it flips off to the side and you see Daito flipping around and, and like stabbing some guys and they're already on friendly terms. That kind of took me out in like the first five minutes or so. And so it took me a little bit of time to get to know them and, and get over that initial hump. Um, and by the end of the movie, I thought they were great. Like I thought both, both actors, primarily the little kid. Yeah, I thought primarily, he was yeah. really charming, really funny. Yeah, uh, I agree. I loved I, him. I liked his lines. He was good. I loved him. Yeah. I, I, I liked him. I think I didn't have problems with the actors. I think I just had more of a problem with the characters. Um, you know, in the book, they get thrown out, you know, one of them gets thrown off of a balcony and dies and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, they have such almost a cooler story in the book. And, you know, they actually found, you know, they found the copper key on their own as well. Right. You know, they, they didn't get any help from anybody. That's what made them so cool. Cause it's like, oh, well, these guys got it too. Well, it's um, like everybody gets the hint pretty much when he when he does it, but those guys they're like the first ones to do it, and so yeah. I thought the fact of I think that H knowing them and being friends with them did kind of lessen the the impact of of their characters a little bit. Yeah, they're just they didn't really characters. have to work for anything. It would have been cool if they just showed up on the the leaderboard and then they're like, "Who are those guys?" I mean, that would have been like twenty seconds of dialogue. You know, I know to, it's really to say, easy to to make things a little bit more cohesive, and I think we're kind of discovering that now. <laughs> you know, yeah, it yeah. would have been really easy. Uh, but I, overall, I think the movie um, could have used a little bit more show, less tell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, enjoyed... uh, I don't. Go ahead. Was it was it Fido? 
Fido and <laughs> he's my dog. Uh, and, uh, Fido um, and Shih Tzu. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I said pretty much everything I had to say about him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where do we go from there? Then they. Uh, <laughs> it's like. Then, well, I'm trying to remember like what happens in this movie because it's all I have the book and the movie like so plotted out in my head that uh, they're blending together. Um, Oh, and then they go and try to rescue Artemis and they convince Nolan Sorrento that he's still in the Oasis and put the gun to his head and all that stuff. It was fine. I mean, I thought that was, it was good. Yeah, that was interesting. I I thought like it, it saved the scene for me because, you know, you see them walk in as he's getting out of the Oasis and they both have like, these silenced pistols drawn yeah. on him and and Dido's like in like a full like business suit mm-hmm. and it really threw swung, me off swung like, by men's warehouse on the way there <laughs> yeah <laughs> he liked the way he looked um <laughs> <laughs> and uh it, that, that like threw me for a second and i'm like is this movie taking a weird turn here because this this is really strange but then when they reveal that they like hacked his rig and like totally tricked yeah. him into thinking that he was out of it, I was like, oh, that's actually pretty creative. That was clever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. I thought it was good. I mean, yeah, at the beginning there, it was like a step away from from Ving Roms coming in and telling him that they're in Mission Impossible. And it's like, oh, okay, here we <laughs> Ooh, go. Um, Ooh, getting weird. But um, no, yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, it all seemed a little convenient. But at the end of, at the end of the day, I mean, if you're going to complain about convenience in uh steven spielberg films and you're going to the wrong movies because have you seen indiana jones is there anything more convenient than everything that happens in those i know yeah um (laughs) so can't really complain too much about that um but yeah i thought that was great and then i really liked how artemis was uh in the loyalty camps in ioi and having her kind of be that person that is able to bring down the shield um so a lot of a lot of those plot points that I wasn't necessarily on board for at first, uh, because they were different from the book, I did think that at the end I was like, oh man, that played out so well though. Is that she's in there and she was able to bring down the shield and all that, all that stuff. So um I really enjoyed that. And so they bust her out and she goes up to his uh whatever you call it, the thing that he gets into. What do you call him, Jack? You probably the rig? Yeah, the rig. Thank you. The haptic um, chair. Yeah, haptic haptic suit, rig, haptic whatever. Suit. Um, and so she gets into his and starts kind of watching whatever goes on. And then that's when that big speech comes in. And it Way was... Way too quick. Too quick. All of a sudden, he's just standing there, and it's like, citizens of the Oasis. And I was like, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> we're already here. No, we're not doing this. Don't tell yeah, me we're no, doing exactly. This. It took me by surprise. I was like, oh, geez, we're here. So, I don't want to do that yet. I think what would have yeah. helped with that scene, um, again, just trying to build in a little bit more of that tension, is if we saw um, IOI get closer to completing the third challenge. Like, we kind of saw them doing a lot of setup. We saw them, like, digging little holes. We saw them placing bombs. Like, Artemis was even forced to help out with that a little bit. We saw them you know, setting up the, the giant orb force field. Um, but I kind of wish we saw them making progress towards achieving that goal. And so it sort of adds, you know, a, a race against the clock. 
so when he's giving this speech, he's like, everybody, I need you now. Like, they're about to win this challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right. No, totally, yeah. I think that they it did it did feel like we missed a scene or something when that happened. Mm-hmm. It was suddenly just, oh, he's making a speech to everybody and getting them to come out there. So um, I did enjoy, though, I did enjoy the the IROC scene where he does the, the orb and all that stuff. I, I really enjoyed the the dialogue between those, those two the entire time. Um, but yeah, I thought that I thought the speech was pretty well written, got me going, maybe not as great delivered as it could have been, but uh, it was still very fun. And I mean, the shot when he's like, you know, in the name of Parzival in the name of Artemis in the name of H and Daito and show, uh, in the name of Halliday himself, and it shows like the Iron Giant come up behind him, and then Daito walks out, or is it Show walks out? Uh, man, yeah, that oh, goosebumps. I got that got me good. I know. I kind of just got him right now. No, I mean it's cool. That's you know, it's you like delivered the, it better, Dave. See, exactly. You should have been. Was I? You should have been yeah. parsable. <laughs> yeah, I should have <laughs> been. Like, it's really, really my biggest problem with the movie <laughs> is that Dave Jones was not parsable. Yeah. You know, and then I get in there and everybody's like, you know, isn't that character supposed to be young? Why is that 30 year old guy? (laughs) (laughs) No, I could play 18 if I wanted to. Right, guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. Appreciate it. Totally, dude. But and then and from there on, the movie is freaking awesome. Like, go ahead. The last thing that I want to say, this is so nitpicky. um, But like, just because this is how I imagined it in my head watching that the battle start i really wish that it wasn't when he called everybody to arms i kind of wish it wasn't just the typical like army running over the hillside i kind of wish it was more it it, it supported the the extreme variety and uniqueness of the oasis and you had like ships like warping in and that's what i was people teleporting in and like Star Trek beaming into place and like people coming out of the ground and like yeah. I wish there was a lot more variety like that instead of just an army of people running off like from the horizon. You know, I felt like that was kind of a missed opportunity to be like really creative uh, and interesting well, I, with it. I think that yeah, it, it was more of just an ambush and everybody was suddenly just like sprinting out of everywhere. Whereas we kind of wanted like a battle of Sterling, Braveheart type scenario but it shows people getting teleported in and all that stuff. But you still have the two, the two armies like facing off against one another uh-huh, and getting sure. to see the, the getting to see the scope of the battle that's about to take place rather in this movie, it just kind of suddenly starts happening and you're like, Oh, Whoa. Okay. Everybody's yeah, running yeah. in here. So, um, I just really but I did see, like the enterprise just, Ooh, yeah. and then, you know, oh, the X wings fly in and like all that stuff. And that's, you know, there were a lot of really good references in this movie. Um, I feel like I could have gone for a couple more in that battle, though. It's I think that I there agree. was there was room for something. I don't know more Star Trek or I don't I don't know what I wanted, but yeah, I think that they could have done more. Um, you know what I could have used? I could have used a uh, Starship Trooper. Uh, uh, what are Arachnid? those things called? I yeah, I could have used one of those walking around. I would have been oh. like, yes. That would have been sweet. And then somebody stomps on it and goes, the only good bug is a dead bug. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. That would have been freaking awesome. I agree, though. I think there could have been more. I think they should have had, I think the final line in the battle should have been, I'm making waffles. Or no, sorry, I'm on a different, I'm on, I'm on Shrek still. (laughs) What Uh, is that? And in the morning, I'm making waffles. Shrek. 
Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, and then he stomps on him and goes, the only good bog is a dead bog. Oh, man. I just cannot get the accent. Donkey. Today, guys. It's not there. Donkey. You sound like really? him a lot when you say donkey. I know. It's like I, I think I can only quote Trek directly. If I had the lines in front of me, I can quote him, but trying to do it on my own, it just doesn't work. So... I don't know, whatever. But yeah, I think that there were some really good references. They show the Ninja Turtles, which was great. Yeah, not I the like Ninja that. Turtles, except for they weren't. They were the new Ninja Turtles, not the old ones. Um, couldn't uh, I could have gone for a recreation of the live action films from the eighties. Uh, um, yeah, but that's fine. Uh, Spartans running around. That was awesome. That Loved was all sweet. that. All the Halo references. Halo references were good. Um, the Gears of War. The Gears of War gun, I w- oh god, I wish we could see just one chainsaw. You know what I mean? Because mm. Artemis busts out the gun with the big chainsaw on it and immediately it gets destroyed. Yeah. yeah. All you want is just like through somebody. That'd be sweet. Yeah. No, I man, there I mean there's just so much to that last battle, but it was it was freaking sweet and it's everything I An could have. AT in there would have been cool too. Ooh, ATAT would have been good. There weren't too many Star Wars references. I mean, they had like the Millennium Falcon, you have that, or uh, hey, young Padawan. They had a couple of those lines in there, but actually seeing something from Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, maybe they been... couldn't get the rights to like. That could be. Like a lightsaber. I bet Disney. Or something I bet Disney say. was being lame about it, and I bet they were let too. Them use anything? Um, wouldn't surprise me. But even if it's freaking Spielberg, you know, it's like, hook him up, come on, Stevie. I bet Kathleen Kennedy just has like a big throne room that she just sits in. People like yeah. handing her like grapes and stuff. <laughs> okay. Making <laughs> the analogy from That's what Kathleen I think. Kennedy to Dionysus here. Great. Okay. Um. <laughs> Dianetics, L. Ron Hubbard. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, there could have been more Lord of the Rings stuff. I could have seen something from that. That would have been nice. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot. Yeah. I feel like it was a lot of video game sci-fi stuff rather than uh, any fantasy yeah, definitely. elements. Um, I guess the orc was the main character, so kind of just ruined my argument right there. But um, anyway, there's there was a lot to that battle. I thought that the use of the Iron Giant was perfect. That I mean, there couldn't have been a better robot to use as one of the main characters so i really enjoyed that what do you guys think about mecha godzilla i mean that's what nolan sorrento is in the book right yeah yeah that was yeah. that was right on i i thought that was actually really awesome i loved seeing the transformation of him like he engaged it and you see it almost tron like sort of build around him uh, yeah i thought that was rad um and then i thought that the uh the gundam showing up was pretty sick too i think my favorite part about that is that they actually animated the Gundam in the style of the anime? Like right, they didn't they right. didn't animate it in like a, a perfectly realistic way. Like it didn't move like the Iron Giant or the Mecha Godzilla. It was like totally anime where it would it would fly forward, you know, do a slash, turn around, and then strike a pose, and it would just like float through the air in that pose. Right. Yeah, I was. David, a big fan. Do, you, do you, did you know what a Gundam was? I had no clue, but I loved it. <laughs> see, see, so after the movie, I was like, yeah, that thing was cool, but like, what is that? And Jack described it to me, which if you want to describe it to the listeners now, sure. that that yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I can't, I'm not super well-versed in it, but it's almost an entire genre of Japanese entertainment. Um, there are so many like mecha Gundam shows. Like there's, you know, your Gundam Wing, Gundam X, Gundam whatever. This is like, 
a whole series of TV shows that are not even interconnected. They're only related because of this style of robot. And like the, the main feature of all of them is that they're giant robots piloted by people. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, and it sounds great. And I and I love probably it. Gonna, yeah. The thing is, is that I thought that that was one of the most well-placed, like anticipated moments in the movie, because they set that up way, way earlier where he gets um, that artifact that is, you know, you can take any you can take the form of any robot for two minutes. And so you're like, well, that's going to show up later on. And so you're looking forward to it. And then you have Daito sitting there you know, meditating in the van. And I was like, when are you going to jump into, when are you going to get into this fight, Daito? And then at that moment, when it seems like the perfect opportunity, he like says it in such a freaking epic and inspiring and also like subtle way. He just goes, I take the form of Gundam. And then he freaking launches off the ship and takes the form of this awesome anime robot that I didn't know what it was. But man, I was like, I wanted to fist pump in the audience like, yes, I don't know what that is, but that was sick. Because <laughs> it, yeah. it was so awesome. That was, that's probably my favorite part of the whole movie. I mean, I think that the, the Shining sequence is my favorite whole scene, but the Gundam, I could watch that on repeat for at least 30 minutes. Gun, damn, that was great. <laughs> gun dumb that was good um yeah i i'm a big fan of robots though so uh you say robots, robots. <laughs> did you say robots robots yeah. <laughs> maybe they should have gotten dr robotnik robotnik what was the sonic the hedgehog could have used some of those old video game references like early 90s video game references you know a lot of 80s stuff a lot of a little bit more mortal Kombat. a little bit more new stuff but well, yeah. Yeah. i guess they did have or something Goro, that was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all that was great. And then, uh, yeah, and then you see Gundam gets taken down still, and then he gives the he flips off, um, flips off Sereno and goes first to the egg. That was that was pretty epic. Um, the Chucky. I was kind of hoping that like he died in real life though, right there or something. I, I just know. kept nobody hoping actually, those guys. Would nobody die. actually dies. And that's I, the only thing I don't think it would fit the tone of the movie. Like, yeah. I think it fit the tone of the book because the book was very serious, but the movie had set such a precedent for being much more lighthearted that I don't think that it, it would have, like, derailed the, the, the tone and the, the like, pacing oh, they if killed a that guy kid. actually died. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Family-friendly yeah. movie than that is right. brutally murder somebody. <laughs> You're like, oh, gosh. Didn't see well, that because the description of what happens in the book, too, is it Daito that dies? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it Show? It's, it's Daito. Name Shodo. It's Shodo. Shodo. Yeah, Shodo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't know. That was that was super bummer in the book. But yeah, I don't know. It would have been. I think it was fine that nobody died. But um, I think that my favorite. I keep saying things are my, my favorite. favorite in the movie scene of the my favorite, movie. So. <laughs> my favorite scene in the movie is. <laughs> now in this before every scene yesterday the in the theater i turned to jack and i go this is gonna be my favorite scene this is my favorite scene this right is here. my favorite scene right now oh man um i thought that the chucky doll was freaking amazing like the use of that will not use this little thing and then he throws the chucky doll into the into the fight and there's there's something about a pg-13 movie 
and using the F word at the right time. Cause you only get one. You can, I think you can have up to two or three yeah. in a movie if it's for the right purpose, but usually you only drop it once if at all. And that was the perfect moment. It was That's great. Chucky. Oh, <laughs> I, I laughed so hard because then it just shows all those guys just getting cleaned up by that freaking doll. And so I love good. that they showed it outside of the Oasis. You know what I mean? You see it jump on one guy and he stabs him and he starts to jump and then it cuts out to IOI and you just see these guys in their haptic rigs like go red, 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 red. Right. While hearing right. Chucky laughing, you know. Oh, man. That was so well played. That it was, was such, I mean, that was like an ace in the hole and they knew it, you know. I, I wish that they hadn't showed it in the uh, in the trailer, though, because I think they that showed had Chucky I not in the trailer. They, yeah, that was in the trailer. Yeah. Ah. Uh. So I, I, I remember thinking to myself, Chucky's going to show up at some point. So, um, but it was, it was good. I really liked that play. Um, that was very nice. Um, and also the T2 thumbs up bit. <laughs> oh yeah. That was like, so good. That would have been cheese ball in any other movie, any other scenario, but it was pitch perfect in this, you know, it just yeah. fits the tone and the, and the, the theme of the, the movie. Right, right. Well, and I think that that kind of like lends itself to because it's it's a great reference, but it also is age is in the Iron Giant, you know, and she's going down and to have that thought, oh, my gosh, I'm melting into lava as a big giant robot. I can do the T2 reference (laughs) with the thumbs up. You know, we all would do. Yeah, exactly. It's like, game. how often do you get this opportunity <laughs> and knocked it out? So I would give, you know, I would give her a ton of credit for having the idea to do the uh, to do that joke. So good, good call. Um, but from there, I mean, I, I've been dominating the conversation. Anybody want to take over on running through the plot here, Danny? Uh, so basically from there, um, I rock is trying to keep them from crossing the thing. They cross the thing. Um, and then they fight through all this stuff, just kind of skipping forward. Uh, meanwhile, there's somebody at IOI that is playing this, and they're going through all these games, and it's not working out. And there's some guy that's playing, is it Adventurer? Adventure. Yeah, and, Adventure, uh, yeah. Because they have the, the last, the last uh, challenge is a console that has literally like every arcade game ever. Yeah. And so they're yeah. just running through the possibilities that it could possibly be. And they play adventure for longer than a minute and they haven't broken through the ice. So they, one would assume that it is that game. Uh-huh. They just have to beat it. Yep. And then, you know, he gets back there. I think like, and then meanwhile, I didn't like the whole them in the chase scene thing and him getting knocked around. That was kind of annoying me a little bit. Um, I get it that it's like stressful and creating the stakes behind it, but it was just so freaking, yeah. it was too stressful for me. But like, I really, but I mean, really skipping forward. I mean, you got like Sorrento comes out, I rock and they do the big bomb thing, the catalyst. And, uh, and that happens and everybody Hold- dies. Well, okay. What well, real quick. Um, I, I did want to say that I thought that the, I thought that the idea of the last challenge being an arcade game was really good because that was something up until that point in the movie that I had been thinking in my head. I really, I really wish that they had played the arcade game um, card a lot more because that the original the the book is so devoted to Halliday having such a reverence of these this old style of gaming and um, 
and the characters are supposed to know all these arcade games so well. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of the book, but I thought that they did a really good job, at least with the three challenges and making them in three different ways. The first challenge is just your ability your your ability to manipulate the oasis. How good of a player are you in the oasis? And it's like and it's, and it's like, a race. And most people can buy into that and also like it's more likely that you'd get through that one. It's like an exactly, easier challenge. Yeah. It's the first challenge a bunch get through, but then it kind of like continues to get harder. Well, the shining, I guess, isn't that crazy hard. But, well, I'm but I think that know, he plays on like the, the three major things that you would have to know to get through that. First being your ability to manipulate and go through the oasis. And then the second is your knowledge of film and 80s culture. And then the third is your ability to play an arcade game. And where there's there's different parts and a lot of them were much easier than they should have been. Um, I, I still think that that was I think that that was a good play and that they changed the they changed the setup of the three gates and the three challenges in a way that I thought I thought it served the, the story very well. And it, it worked and it served the nostalgia of the story very well, too. So I thought that was good. And the choice of having the playing adventure and it not being beating the game. It's simply playing the game that allows you to find the egg and finding the first Easter egg. Well, yeah, well that's kind of what, that's what we were getting to is like, he gets the cat, puts off the catalyst and then everybody dies in the Oasis pretty much because everybody's on that planet right now. Most people die at least. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that just weren't there and they didn't have their Oasis on, but like, a lot of freaking people die, and uh, I thought that the extra one life, that whole thing was pretty clever, um, and him coming back, and then just to like skip forward and we can backtrack, I think the scene where he's sitting there narrating and talking about Halliday, basically proving to everybody in the entire world that like, yeah, I am the smartest. I know more about Halliday and this video game than anybody. And using that Easter egg thing that comes up in the book, but is it? it's not at the end, right? It's not at the end, but yeah. it does come up in the book. Yeah. They did that. Re- that was very clever. Very clever yeah. of him to point that out pretty much to the whole world. And everybody's like, oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's great. And the fact that he's being, you know, he's being uh, broadcast to the entire world and everybody's watching him do this third challenge and he gets to narrate that. I thought that that was that was really cool. And and that's what happens in the book, too. Um, not necessarily you can hear what he's saying, but uh, I did. I did enjoy that. Jack, did you have anything to add to, to that uh, discussion? I was just going to say that, um, yeah, I thought that the, the choice of adventure was was a good one because it stayed very true to the spirit of both the book and sort of the message of the the movie um you know that it wasn't about like winning a game it's about like playing and having a good time like just enjoying yourself you know um mm-hmm. and yeah I, I i i thought that was a really solid choice i think if i had to make any critique of that i i think that that was a good situation where they could have had a little bit more of that Indiana Jones because they're essentially just like trial and error going through all the games and seeing what, what sticks, what works. Um, but it would have been cool if there was like a little bit more of a, I don't know, like a wordplay sort of thing, like something that pertains to the riddle as opposed to like, well, there are a thousand games here. Let's just start at one going down the list. Or had they not even figured it out and 
then Z walks up and is like, it's got to be adventure. That's the first Easter egg. You know, like mm-hmm. if he were to just walk up to the challenge and be like, oh, I know what it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that something like that probably would have worked better than even having all those oologists um, figure it out. Also, uh, you, made, you made a good point yesterday, Jack, about Nolan Sorrento, how like he dies in the big uh, Godzilla thing and then he comes back like without another life is that like a plot hole or there was a bit of a plot hole i thought um i'm sure there are others but that's the one that that stood out to me the most did he die in that thing he died because he's in the mecha godzilla and then uh artemis like shoots out the eye and throws in that was a reference i didn't get i didn't know what she threw in it was like a little goober monster i know i thought that that was an opportunity for such a good one it could have been like a thermal detonator or something Something like that you know like could have been something awesome um, but it blows up and you see him explode into coins. Like you yeah. see him, him zero out, die. Um, and then he comes back like right after that. And he's still himself. He's still like super beefy, high level has his suit on and stuff. Whereas, you know, I, I think at least in the book, I, I, we didn't really get to see much of this concept explored. Um, like what happens to somebody after they die in the Oasis, like how they respawn. But um, it seemed weird that he would respawn in, like, the same place with the same stuff, you know? Because, like, well, that seemed to be what happened with, with Z when he had his one-up coin. You know, it, it seemed like it was almost the same effect, but he just didn't have the coin. Well, also, though, I mean, maybe, maybe it's something where Sorrento, like, the same rules don't apply to him for zeroing out because he could literally spawn there and just buy any upgrade that he wanted real quick. You know what I mean? So that's a decent point. That is yeah, a, yeah that's, a, that's a good point. point. I mean, and maybe that's and that and that's a big thing. Also, with that. can you have two avatars if you're a person? Like, can you like create identical ones or something like that? No. In the book, you can't. Yeah. In the book, it well, says I think that, that you only have one. I think if you die, account. then you can restart over, and you right. can. Your, it's not like your avatar would change or anything. You just wouldn't have any of the same stats. But I would assume that he just spawned and upgraded his character like immediately and just spent millions of dollars on it. You know, something like that could have happened. But I think the biggest thing is that when he he launched or he blows the catalyst, then that catalyst blows up everything, including that portal that was getting them there. So, um even after so he he could have gone through that portal and got there immediately even if it was a low level character he could have got there um making a new character real quick but after that cataclysm goes off nobody How does can he get, get there, there for a while yeah right yeah solid yeah. point yeah 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 so i mean i don't know that's i'm just a nitpick. It's trying not a big to deal. make sense of that cuz it could have been i think it is probably a plot hole but um that's that's but a after way to he sets it, after he sets off the catalyst though he doesn't come back yeah. no no he doesn't come back no yeah um also i almost forgot to say this but when that when he's about to blow up the catalyst tj miller has the best line of the entire movie the uh um there's a camper move man (laughs) yeah (laughs) that is so video game culture like it's so awesome and if you've ever played a video game you just know what that means it's like dude come on you're don't be lame man like that's such a camper thing to do (laughs) So, kill, okay, uh, if it's not going my way, I'll just kill everybody. 
Exactly. Like, it's such a lame play. And I just, I love that. I love that line. And he's like, I got like 10 years worth of stuff here, man. Like, I'm not going out like that. I'm not going to zero out right now. And, uh, oh, man, I just, I really, I really like the way that that IROC character kind of plays the identity of any gamer that's in the room. You know, we can all identify mm-hmm. with the way that he, the way that he speaks and the way that he thinks. And um, he just, he was such a great character. And uh, I really, I really liked that last line. That was, that was hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, and I think that the ending of the film is uh, pretty awesome. And then the, it's and then so we move on to him in the attic and actually getting the golden egg with Halliday. Yeah, he goes. And, well, he uh, has to do the he has to do the uh, the signature thing, which I thought was really clever too. Was that in the book? I can't remember. I don't, that. I don't remember. I don't think it was exactly like that. I think there might have been something similar. Yeah, sort of like a fake out, like a test of. But that of was his great. Spirit, but like he like goes into a room and nobody can see what's happening to him, and I think it's a fairly similar setup. But then isn't he supposed to? I think he finds like an old gaming console and has to like he has to play set up game. the right game or something. Yeah. That it's, was the last. I think it's like he. It, it's almost a um, a similar situation as uh, the third Indiana Jones, where like he has to pick the right computer, he has to totally. pick the right Grail. It's something like that. He's he's in a room and he's got like a series of computers all around him, and he has to oh, choose yeah. the right one. Yeah, yeah. he has to, and yeah. he picks like the old one. But yeah, that's great. And he's like, just testing you. And then they go to it. And if I might make a point before we start on the holiday thing, um, this is one of those characters that it's just like Sorrento. Like, it's one of those casts that I saw this well before the movie came out. And I was not really looking forward to it. And the actor that plays Halliday, he made the movie for me in a few different parts. Like, that ending scene in the attic, his acting was so good that I was like... It was really the only point in the movie that I was like really tearing up. Like, yeah. I was like, "Wow, this no, is and great." I, good, I I enjoyed him. That's a good point because we didn't even bring up Mark Rylance, and he is a fantastic actor. He carried and, it um, so well. I felt the I felt the same way, Danny. I wasn't that excited for Mark Rylance to be that, and that's also because. And I hate to harp on the BFG, but that movie is not good. And I and I think that Mark Rylance was fine, but it's just I was like, oh great, Steven Spielberg's using this guy. Oh, again. he's choosing him three and times in a row: Bridge of Spies, BFG, and then you got exactly, this. You're like, yeah. Okay. And it's like, and not to the detriment of Mark Rylance. I know that he's a good actor, and he's fantastic in Bridge of Spies, and he's great in uh, Dunkirk, and he's in something else I can't remember, but um, he's great. It's just that I didn't see this happening for him. And he totally pulled it off in such a great way and played the character so well. And it wasn't quite, I, I, it just, he did, he did the character complete justice, justice and even represented him like he was in the book. And that was, I think that was the biggest part is that I felt like both James Halliday and Anorak were both very much what I pictured them like in the book. So mm-hmm. that was, I really appreciated that. And I'm glad you pointed that out, Danny, because we definitely didn't give Mark Rylance his fair credit. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that, you know, I, I also didn't think he was going to be that great, but I think he played the perfect movie version of the role, because in the book, uh, Halliday is so antisocial, he's, he's like borderline unlikable, like people can't relate to him at all, whereas I, I thought Halliday in the movie was, he played, it, it seems like a really difficult challenge, actually, like to be strange and like, kind of unrelatable and kind of off-putting, but in a really charming way. You know what I mean? Because, like, he was... 
playing sort of the antisocial, awkward weirdo guy, but was totally enjoyable to watch. You know, right. so it's like a weird right. fine line to ride. Yeah. I thought he did a great job. No, I yeah, I, I agree. I think he was I think he was fantastic. And I think that this last the last little bit was such a was such a good good note to end on. Um they have the whole signing of the thing, and I'm not going to make the same mistake. And then Anorak cries pretty much, and then he turns back into James Halliday and gives up the Avatar. And uh, I thought that that whole scene of him in his original room and showing the younger Halliday was really cool and super cute. And then Halliday, like, forgetting where he placed the egg. Um, and also, in contrast to what's happening in the real world with all of those guys riding in the back of the van, and what do you think I'm playing, Mario Kart? Are you always trying to kill us? Yeah. All that, I mean... I thought it worked pretty well. It was a little stressful for me, but um, I get that we had to we had to make something a little bit more um, climactic happen rather than just. Well, I don't know. At the same time, I feel like I kind of just wanted to see that scene play out as it would have without mm-hmm. all the stuff going on in the background. I'm like, well, don't rush this. This is the fun this part is of it. the movie. That this is the big one. We get to see him get the egg. Um, but I thought it was. I thought it was fine. I thought it was. I thought it was good to have the contrast of what's happening in the real world um but yeah i liked all the holiday stuff it's fantastic yeah i thought they played out the truck thing a little too much yeah you know when yeah, he I was think... when he's like trying to fit the key in the in the final key slot you know and like he just can't do it because the car's like bouncing around i thought you know maybe like once or twice and it might have been kind of amusing but like we kept going and he keeps like scraping the side of the door and i'm like just get it in there you know uh i thought they they played that out a little too much for like um some stretched tension i agree i completely agree i think it was it went on too long yeah but Danny. i mean otherwise it was this one loved it loved it all <laughs> up until the end um it was great uh they opened the truck doors uh he has to kiss the girl which there you see her looking there across the way, sitting there across the way. She don't got a lot to say, but there's something about her. You don't know why, but might as well try. You got to kiss the girl. Um, sorry, I had to go through the whole thing. But uh, yeah, that was cool. I, I don't know. The, the love thing, I really wasn't that on board with. The kiss was cool, and he did the little bungee jump thing. Um, and then introducing Ogden Morrow. And all that, getting into that, uh, he says he wants the five to sign and share it all. Um, the coin flip, you learn all that stuff. The whole ending was good. I even liked the little cop car slapstick where she punches him. It felt very, I think I turned to Jack and I said it felt very like 90s-ish. Um, it was very kinda, like end of Home Alone. Very end of Home Alone, yeah. Oh, the punching, yeah, God. The, yes. two, the two guys get in the cop car and, right. and Joe you know Pesci like of? smacks Marvel. I was thinking it was kind of like the bad guys from Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> Didn't it feel like just like such a crappy '90s? Yeah, something. Yeah, it was just Jason a couple knuckleheads. And some yeah. some girl. I can't remember who it was. A couple but. knuckleheads, but yeah, yeah, I mean, and then throughout the, and then it goes to his apartment, and they're smooching on the couch, and a little too weird, and uh, and boom, Ready Player One. <laughs> okay, and then he drops the bomb of we made a lot of differences, we made a lot of changes, but. So we we said that there's no oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay, you know what? What if your day off is on Tuesday and you can't go in the oasis? You're like, that's what I want to do with my spare time. You know what? Yeah, it's my day off, and I want to go hang out in the oasis with my friends. I don't know. I, you got to come. And up they with just have some that. sort of call center now that just takes so long. 
Um, oh. To switch to touch tone only, press star nine nine now. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I get it. One, and then just zero 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 zero. Can I speak to an operator? <laughs> zero zero zero. Yeah, it's Tuesday. It's my day off. Uh, what is this new thing? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I would be so mad. I'd be like, come on. I just want to freaking play in the Oasis, dude. Like, yeah. I don't spend all my time there. Play. But, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting, but overall, yeah, and I love and I love the Ogden Morrow being the uh, being the curator for the museum and uh, I did too. and giving him the extra life and all that stuff. Ask Jeeves, guys. This is it's a good bit. It's, it's a good still reference. Don't know what that is. I, uh, somewhere, somewhere out there, somebody's gonna listen to this and be like, "That was really funny," and he deserves all the comedy points for that joke. Uh, anyway, he lost the ball with Shrek. <laughs> 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 uh, anything else? I think we put a little. I think that's that's a wrap, guys. I think that's the whole. I think that's so pretty too. much the entire movie. I have something. That, I have something that I wanted to bring up though, uh, just because it stirs a great conversation. This conversation doesn't have to go on too long. Gosh, you're getting close to the camera over there, Dave. Uh, we got to see some dinosaurs on this dinosaur soiree. Hello. Um, <gasps> Hello. Um, so this is this all takes place in 2045. Virtual reality is the huge thing. Um, but my best friend Jack over here, um, and I guess I'm claiming that on the podcast here. Whoa. Um, yeah, podcast official. Uh, he moved into a part, a new apartment. Um, uh, sole reason being only reason being to have an entire room for vir- for virtual reality VR. And he has VR and we go over there and play. Um, but do you think this is possible? And do you think this is all going to happen? Uh, I think I think a lot of it definitely could happen. Um, I think that Ernest Klein was, in a lot of ways, kind of kind of prophetic, actually, about uh, the way that things could go if we started where we are now and just followed down a certain path. Because in a lot of ways, the technology is totally there already. Like if you haven't tried like the the full res VR experience, it's it's like enrapturing. It is so cool. Um, and that's true. I did just move into a new place, specifically a two bedroom spot so that one of them could be a VR room. Um, and a lot of the stuff that they, they use in the movie, uh, the rough versions of those exist. Like not only when people think of VR, they think of like a headset that sits on your face, but in, in AR augmented reality, they're already experimenting with the idea of projecting stuff directly onto your eyes. So there's no actual screen in front of you, which is how it works in the Oasis. Um, in terms of like all the haptics, their suits, that exists too. Um, there's, I was reading about this, uh, these gloves that you can wear when you're doing VR, and there are little arms attached to each of your fingers that will inhibit your movement as soon as you grab something to, to, to simulate like the, the range of motion that you would have when you're holding something. And then... The palm is uh, made of an interwoven mesh of really, really tiny air pipes. And so it's able to simulate pressure on your fingers and palm. And it's already now, it's uh, so accurate that it can imitate like an insect crawling across your hand. And so this, the same company that's oh. developing that, uh, they do have a full bodysuit working. It's just, it's really an issue of... Um, making it affordable for everyone and then figuring make, out the groin area. That's, that's it. That's really, everything Biggest else one. is figured out. Yeah. 
The groin. That's the hard part. <laughs> hey oh. <laughs> no, keep uh, going though. I'm freaking <laughs> loving what you're doing right now. I just had to insert the joke. Hey oh. Um and so I, I could totally see it going that way. You know, it's really just a matter of letting the the technology develop a little further. Um, you know, because like I think with the haptic sort of thing, you need like a giant engine-sized air compressor, you know, like not something that you could just have sitting in your living room, you know? Um, yeah. But like if you give this 10 years, I totally think that Oasis-style technology is totally viable. Like later this year, we're already getting wireless VR so that you're not actually connected to anything. And you have like total freedom of movement around a room. Um, so it's, it's really only a matter of time. Well, and don't they, are, they already have like, you can play Fallout, whatever oh, yeah. the new Fallout is for. You can play that on VR, right? Yeah, I have. It's, it's fantastic. And? Uh, and <laughs> the thing that I'm most excited about, if we're going to open this up, uh, on Tuesday, this week, this coming week, Skyrim, the reason that I got into VR in the first place, comes out for full PC VR. If I can just plug Skyrim right here, get my kickback. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> it's, oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm crying. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. You know, and like, it's, Dude, Skyrim's going to be on VR? Yeah. Hey, Full what VR. days do you work? Because I'm going to fly in and just hang out in your place and play your VR and I play Skyrim that. while you're at work. for like You are more than welcome. Monday through Friday, <laughs> baby. I work I'm too. opening that up to all the listeners. Listeners, come by. Yeah. Come play. I'm taking Mikasa a full week off. Sukasa. Me VR as Su VR. His address is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that's insane. No, I, but I mean, that's so, that's so cool, though, because... It is a movie that does seem like such science fiction, but it's not it's because not. this is no, this yeah. is a real this is a virtual reality. No, this is like a real thing that could possibly happen in the next few decades. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like this is to think that this is happening in twenty five years, not out of the realm of possibility at all. It's just I guess it's just a matter of of them finding the ways to to make this technology real and make it work but also make it so that it's not ridiculously expensive mm-hmm. because i would imagine you probably spent a fair amount on your vr set not something uh, that you know. just the average joe would probably be able to invest average in, jack unless, huh average jack the average jack right yeah. um but you know it's like you you were ready to spend that much money on it because it is a serious hobby and a serious interest of yours but not everybody could really drop the coin to do that like you would just like an xbox 360 or xbox one or something totally so, totally and and yeah like i was kind of a unique case as well because um it, it just so happens that uh like my business like when like the the equipment that i need for work is also really good for playing games like i need a really powerful computer in order to do my work and so it's just a really good excuse like oh it's a work expense i can write that off you know and (laughs) (laughs) so i already had essentially the platform for it i just needed the headset which i actually bought used you can buy them used too wow so i mean it's 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 achievable they compatible with iPads? <laughs> yeah, dude, can that work for my phone? Yeah, you Is just it need 4G. Yeah, just strap a, a pair of iPads to your face. 
that's all you need. <laughs> well, that's what that's what the like the original VR that I remember that coming out like five years ago or something, where it's pretty much just a phone that you would you would just put your phone into a into a headset visor and you just put mm-hmm. that on. So yeah. yeah, I would imagine like even if it were something like Jordy LaForge, what Jordy LaForge is wearing in Next Generation, if it were oh, yeah. something like that, just with headphones in, I mean that would be that would be freaking awesome. So Yeah, it would yeah. be we're looking down the barrel of something happening like that very soon. So that is exciting, and I cannot wait for the possibilities. I'm just jacked now about that Skyrim thing. <laughs> jacked. Hey-o! Hey! Hey-o! You just got jacked. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, uh, good stuff. All right, well, I mean, do you guys have anything else you want to want to visit about? I mean, I, I think that no. I think we said it all. No. Nope. Right? All right, well, that brings us to the standard question. Should we should we ask Jack first? Yeah, yeah, let's ask Jack. Okay. You go ahead. Jack, do you think that this movie is better or worse than School of Rock? For me, I have to say better. I know that might be a dangerous thing to say on on this podcast, but I for me it's better. I think it it's because it it hits a lot of notes that really resonate with me. Like it, it touches on a lot of topics that uh are just like they seem to be aimed at my sensibilities. So, did you like School Rock? Have you seen School of Rock? <laughs> are you aware of this film? <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? What movie is this? Um, yeah, I like it. I'm a Jack Black fan. You know, uh, well, who isn't? I you know. who isn't? I mean, I wouldn't say it's on my top ten list. <laughs> It is the list. I don't so. know if that's um, <laughs> blaspheming right now, but um, no. I mean, Danny, what are you gonna say? Uh, School of Rock, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so ridiculous that School of Rock would be better than this. <laughs> Because this movie's so awesome. It's so incredible. But I honestly am like kind of debating in my I know, mind. it's a tough question. It's like, well, School of Rock is pretty good. I think my answer now is this movie, but I think give me like five years and I'll say School of Rock. School of I Rock, think that... no doubt. <laughs> School of Rock, no doubt in my mind. Um, no, I don't know, I don't, man. I, yeah, think that, I think that Jack Black should be every side character in this movie though you know like the lady pole dancing at the beginning if it were jack black oh that'd be beautiful yeah Um, you get him as nolan sorrento too i think he'd be a pretty good sorrento i was gonna say as nolan sorrento would be pretty good what about Um, ogden morrow or halliday what about jack black oh man anorak that would have been that would have been sweet. Can you imagine the beginning of this film? It's like the Anorak uh, when he's going in to do the whole speech about the contest and everything, and it just just goes into tribute. This is the story of the greatest and best game in the world. Tribute. Oasis. Yeah, Oasis. Long time ago, me and my buddy Ogdemaro here, we was hitchhiking down a long and lonesome road. When there shined a shiny corporation in the middle of the road. Man, I mean, I could I keep mean, going. You myself. could see, I think, yeah, it would write itself. You could probably it really go would. through most of that right now. Yeah, if you just insert keywords in there, then I think Hey, insert key. <laughs> Control C. <laughs> yeah. You guys got any more computer bits? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get it? Bits? Yeah, I, 
Yeah, we got it. So, yeah. um, I, I well, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that that puts a wrap on it, guys. Great talk. Great fun. Jack, thank you so much for coming yeah, on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. An absolute. It's been pleasure. a great time. Jack yeah. Ebensteiner. Jack Ebensteiner, watch out. He might give you a shiner. Hey oh. Hey. Great stuff. Um, but thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, we have a lot of social media stuff going on. We're going to try to be a little bit more active than we have recently. But the website is up and fully updated, right, Danny? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so check out our website, www.professorjones.com. Look us up on our Instagram, which is Professor Podcast, correct? Professor Podcast on Instagram, facebook.com slash Professor Podcast. Uh, and then also you can just type in Professor Jones on Google and you'll find all our stuff. But yeah, uh, iTunes is the big one. Please subscribe and, uh, and uh, you know, check us out on that. That's, that's what like, we Like, share, subscribe, yeah. leave a review, do whatever you want to do because we appreciate the support. So thank you so much for listening, you guys. We'll be back at you next time. Until then, we'll be living our lives a quarter mile at a time. First to the key. First to the egg.